This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Monday. You're at it again. So proud of you. Got a great show for you. Terry South here. Jeff Simpson, of course, running the board. And he gave me his cold. You're welcome. Jeffrey It's Dunn the season of giving. So. Cross-infected me. <sighs> now he gets the warm holiday spirit and you get a... Hacking. Hacking, sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, stuffy head. Sorry. Fever so I can rest medicine. <laughs> well, well, well. Hey, apparently Donald Trump... Um, He's he's on Twitter. When did this start? Really? Everybody's like so surprised that he still tweets. Why would anybody be surprised by that? I don't know. I have a feeling it's not going away. He sits in his, you know, silk robe, silk jammies. I think he's in a suit all the time. Well, his his pajamas look like a suit. Is that what it is? Mhm. It's the same suit, but the red still, tie. They're silky, yeah. Um, now everyone's in SNL's joking about it. Everybody's on it, and people just seem to think that any of this is going to change. He's made some interesting other, uh, you know, additions, I guess, to his list of Secretary of State. That you know, he's still teasing that thing, trying to get as much out of it as he can. We will be talking about some of that with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Joe in the know will be with us. In a few minutes to um, just to talk about all of the latest and greatest. Uh, an accidental, I guess, phone call to Taiwan. Now they're saying not accidental. Months in the planning. Yeah. This was a stunt just to kind of show that he's going to be strong against China. Yeah. He did something that we haven't done for, what, 25 years? Right. Talking to China as, as an you know, independent comp- or country. Hmm. Or Taiwan. I mean, sorry, Taiwan. And the Chinese are angry. Yeah. This is why he needs a Secretary of State. That's what they're saying. He needs a pick. Uh, that's why John Huntsman may be great because John was the ambassador. He may to have China. some uh, standing in that region. He may know that you're not supposed to talk to Taiwan. Well, it that's, is kind of weird that we're not allowed to talk to a country that we trade billions of dollars in goods yeah. with, but that's fine. It just seems odd that China's basically dictating who we can talk to in that well, situation. It's called diplomacy. Is that what it is? But they're they're talking. Of just course, behind but the scenes. It's like we don't have any official diplomatic relations. Right. Why? Right. By the way, that's some more cousin rivalry for you. Because John Huntsman and Mitt Romney are related, right? Cousins? Oh, are they? Yeah. Kissing cousins. Wonder what those reunions are like. <laughs> Awkward <laughs> intense. I don't think they're that, but yeah. I didn't know they were cousins. Cuz they they've opposed each other Politically, that might just be some more fake news from the internet. We'll have to check. Yeah, mm-hmm. fake news everywhere. Check it. We've got uh, all of that ahead. Plus, you know, of course, fun stories throughout the entire show today. We'll be talking a lot about adolescence, a lot about teens. Have you raised, you know, kind of a spoiled teen? We'll get to all that fun. But first, to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? 
The death toll from a fire that blazed through a converted warehouse in Oakland on Friday has risen to 33, officials said Sunday. The number is expected to rise as emergency crews continue to search for victims. Safety concerns prevented officials from making their way through the entire building in the hours after the fire was put out. According to reports, the building was home to some residents as well as an artist collective. It is believed that a rave was taking place when the fire started late Friday night. The Army Corps of Engineers has told local tribes that it will halt work on the controversial Dakota Access Pipeline in order to conduct an environmental impact study, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe announced. In a statement, the tribe said that it wholeheartedly supports the government's decision and thanked President Obama and the Justice Department. Protesters have been camped out at the site in North Dakota for weeks to demonstrate against the $3.8 billion project, arguing that it will destroy the environment and taint the drinking water used by the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. House Speaker Paul Ryan calls Army Corps of Engineers' decision to deny final permits required for the Dakota Access Pipeline big government decision-making at its worst. In a series of tweets early Sunday morning, President-elect Donald Trump warned U.S. companies that ship jobs overseas that they would face a 35% tariff. Any business that leaves our country for another country, fires its employees and builds a new factory or plant in another country, and then thinks it will sell back its product in the U.S. without retribution or consequence, is wrong, he wrote in a series of tweets. There will be a tax on our soon-to-be-strong border of 35% of these companies wanting to sell their product, cars, AC units, etc. back across the border. In addition, Trump pledged to reduce taxes and regulations on businesses. And finally, yes. you know, Matt, what's the worst part about waking up in the morning? Um, waking up in the morning? Yes. Yeah. And leaving your bed and then sometimes leaving your bed unmade. Oh, that yeah. just really irks me sometimes. And so. No, you just leave before your spouse and they have to do it. Yeah. That's that's true. But what I if, always leave my and bed And if they unmade. don't, then it's on them. That's true. They're the lazy one. Sorry, we'll we'll talk about those kind of relationship issues later. But anyways, <laughs> um. You might never have to make your med- bed again after a company invented a duvet that straightens itself out really? with an app. Uh, the American designers of Smart Duvet say it will make the age-old annoyance a thing of the past with a clever gadget. Um, all you have to do is click a button on your mobile app phone, and it will hmm. just kind of go back together. It's so, made. Are there wires in it? No. So you can keep your same duvet. All it is is a grid-shaped blow-up layer that kind of blows up, and then it just pushes your sh- your uh, sheets or duvet back, and then it deflates. You can't see it, and then your bed is made. Just so like some that. guy in Russia decides to hack your duvet. What does that mean? You means, do not want to know. He made your ba- he means, means your bed is made <laughs> but for you. couldn't he unmake your bed just to mess with you? No, you can't unmake it. Who keeps unmaking the bed? Igor in Russia. It's them Russians. Oh, that's uh, that's one of those tech advances that you're not sure you need. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure you don't need it. <laughs> I think we need the uh, self-lacing Air Jordans or whatever mm. before we need those. Yeah, right? yeah for sure. Get that's those for first. sure. That's the hardest thing in the morning is getting your shoes laced. We have some priorities. Thank you, Sadie. In fact, you're not supposed to make your bed because then you cover up all the stuff that is in your bed. And if you leave it open, then being open to the air kills most of that things. Those things. That's what we've had uh, some people on the show to talk about. Yeah, the microbes and stuff that get in there when it's warm. Yeah, it's kind of gross. I think Jim Gaffigan likens that unto uh, tying your shoelaces after you take them off. Huh. Hmm. 
it seems. He's like, if, if, if things go well, I'm getting right back in this bed. I don't, I don't know why I would make it. <laughs> if I have a great day, I'm coming right back to this thing. Uh, ben Carson has been tapped for the H, the HUD housing um, cabinet member. Says who? HUD. 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 He did say that uh, he didn't want a cabinet position because he's never had like executive experience this way. Yeah. Even though he ran for president. He will be the secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Now he's going to have something he didn't want, and he has, probably has no idea how really that's going to ruin his life. Does he have to accept the nomination? Oh, yeah. You now, can't just— You've heard them all say, you know, when the president of the United States, the president of the free world, taps your shoulder mm. for the dance, you're dancing. Can I make a prediction? Yeah. Uh, he's going to become the the secretary of the Housing and Urban Debe- Development— uh, he's also going to become the designated survivor. And then in a State of the Union address, mm. all the other cabinet members are going to be wiped out, and he's going to be our next president. Wow. If life follows the plot line of an ABC drama. That sounds like, yeah, sounds like somebody's been watching a new Netflix series. Hmm. Congratulations. That would be a waking nightmare. I think uh, he's going to be... <laughs> Did you, Overwhelmed. You'll see the video. It's been out there. They were when he was on the campaign tour. He misplaced his luggage, and he was in an interview on CNN, I think. And he goes, "Wait!" Like someone they ask him about some important question, and he's like, "Wait, have you seen my luggage?" And he runs away. So you're saying you, you'd, the, the clips could be everywhere today because he's in the news, so they're going to replay it. You'd rather have Kiefer Sutherland be president than uh, he, Ben Carson. He's Jack Bauer. He's got some skills. Actually, he's Tom Kirkman. I I see him as Jack Bauer. That's why it's always confusing that he's always in a suit sitting behind a desk instead of, you know, yeah. a man of action. He needs to be doing surgery. Not... Ben Carson? Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah, I thought you meant <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Well, That's go, his well, next series. Go, uh, no. That he, might be a road too far. He needs to be doing surgery. He doesn't need to be a movie hero. He just... He doesn't need to be any of that. If you mean surgery with... Kiefer Sutherland, you're talking like inappropriate interrogation techniques. Yes, he did that quite a bit on 24. <laughs> Decapitation, <laughs> All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. That, see, the funny thing is the only thing you like about politics is when you can turn it into a movie trailer. It, it's, a lot, it's a lot more predictable. It's a lot more fun, isn't it? Yeah. J- uh, Japan's prime minister to visit Pearl Harbor, too. That's a big deal. Boy. The world's changing. A lot of things that have never happened before, happening. Trump calls Taiwan, or yeah. re- receives a call from Taiwan. Um, <laughs> Japan's prime minister to visit Pearl Harbor. I do like that he's provoking China. Just seems like fun. You like that? Yeah. Hawaii may get snow. Huh? I mean, there's a lot of... They have one mountain that's tall enough to get snow. Yes, it usually does. So people are now saying, you know, obviously the end of the world. Or just another year in Hawaii. <laughs> Or snow. It's this one mountain. And then the tragedy in Oakland. Holy cow. It's a rave. 30 people dead, or 33 now dead, more expected, as they're just unbearing. Yeah. There were 100 people in the upstairs of that thing. <sighs> That's why I don't go to raves. Really? Well, that and a lot of other reasons. I thought it was your Cause I have a chest cold. fear of glow sticks. And glow sticks freak me out. It's all that. And just, you know, music in general. Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. And dancing. 
It's, it's good. The rave pretty much has everything I don't like, especially glow sticks. Talk to me about um, how is Mike Pence going to survive the cleanup mess of Donald Trump for the next four years? He he is doing a master job of trying to stay on message, trying to avoid talking about some of the more controversial things that happen, and uh, the, he is the he doesn't want to be seen this way, obviously, but he seems to be like the chief apologist of the campaign. Yeah, and and he's he's got a lot to clean up because um, Sarah Palin made a comment that all Carrier is is crony capitalism, her favorite line, which also seems like it seems like Sarah's you know mad that she hasn't been considered for. She was rumored for a cabinet position. Yeah, interior. And I'm going to say she might be on the outs. I think she's now she is for sure. Uh, Mike Pence though responded answering why Carrier isn't crony capitalism. Some people could say you gave a tax break to Carrier so that they would only send 700 jobs overseas. Sarah Palin called it crony capitalism. Why isn't it? Make no mistake about it. The only reason Carrier is staying in the United States is because Donald Trump was elected president of the United States and the leadership at United Technologies and Carrier. This is a government intervening in the private sector? What happened here? Why is this not government intervening in the private sector? Chuck, here's the bottom line. I was in the room when he made the call. What the American people are going to have and they have now in president-elect Donald Trump is someone who's going to be a champion for the American economy. He picked up the phone and he said to the leadership of this company, look, we're going to cut taxes. We're going to roll back the regulations that are driving companies just like yours out of the country. So he goes, this isn't crony capitalism. Or why isn't this? And he goes, no, 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 no. Donald Trump got on the phone. Yeah. And, and talked to the president of the company. Like, So the government intervened. Well, no, no, no. Donald Trump... Talk to him. Well, the government, again, intervenes all the time. Yes. Well, he's not... Just doesn't intervene necessarily talking to the business leader. He's not yet the president. So technically, he's not That's the government. Yeah. He's the government-elect. <laughs> I got you on that one. It's crony capitalism-elect. Now, on ABC, uh, Stephanopoulos brought up... A, there was a tweet that was put out of... There's another company that's leaving Indiana. Yeah, the taking, ball bearing company. It's like, I forget what it's called, but they're taking a bunch of jobs with them. Is he going to intervene here? Well, honestly, he should. And what he ought to do is create a team of interventionists, interventionalists that go in and play clip one. Well, I, I think what you're going to see, and the president-elect will make those decisions on a, uh, on a, on a day-by-day basis in the, in the course of the transition, in the course of the administration. But what, what you're seeing emerge here, and I think it's so exciting – for millions of Americans, you should have seen the emotion on people's faces we saw at it. the carrier plant, George. I mean, there was, uh, that, I mean, I, it was one of the most emotional experiences that I've had in my public career. The way people reached out, uh, grabbed our president-elect by the hand, and just said thank you because they see in him someone who's going to fight for American jobs. Mm-hmm. People were happy. Yeah, they kept their jobs. And so, should he fight for the next company? Well, I don't know that he can personally. But his team can. He'll, he'll, he'll appoint somebody to go fight for these companies. You have to. I mean, wasn't uh, raising minimum wage or the attempt to raise minimum wage uh, government intervention in business? Yeah. Yeah. It's now forcing business people to have to adapt. But then looking at it, do you – I mean, they're saying it's a day-by-day basis, the way he goes after. Does he go after this company? Does this company go? Does this I, company stay? How do I – you know, do, yeah. these kind of decisions right. are, need to be made below President Trump. Well, they will for sure. And so they'll they're, have to be. 
So, but that that's kind of some of the details that need to be fleshed out. But there's but, no real. Answers but then everybody's the saying, "Who was it that made the big comment? He's winning." Uh, Goodwin, the um, historian. It's like for a president elect to do that and get that attention, he's winning. He's already saving jobs, and the people of Middle America already think that's great. The people that don't like it are the ones that have never seen this that already hate him anyway. But middle America that hired him because they supposedly think they're going to keep their jobs, which they probably won't because he can't go do this to every company in the world. They think it's great. This is a – who does this as president-elect? Most just are getting their you know party ready. <laughs> they're trying to figure out when are we going to have di- – what's for dinner the night of the inauguration? It's just symbolic. Will it change anything? I mean, he's probably going to have to get somebody. Every state has an office of economic development. Right. So every state normally is doing oh, yeah. this. They're just not doing it with companies that are leaving the country. Right? That's the biggest difference. They're doing it with country, companies that are leaving from state to state. They're all fighting against each other. But somehow he's going to tr- say – he's saying he's going to try to stop people from leaving. How do you do that? Somebody's we, got to, I guess. When you can do it 30 well, – well, he says he's going to raise tariffs. You leave the mm-hmm. country, it's going to cost you 35 percent more to bring your product back. Carrier, if you leave the country, it's going to cost you 35 percent more. We did talk it's about tough. this. We have been talking about this with the maple wall. That's another way he's going to keep people from leaving the country. Yes. That's – yeah. That's the, the wall people. along the Canadian, Just, or the the Canadian people, border. Right? No, one's getting, no one's getting out of here. You thought you were going to move to Canada. Mm-mm. Um, we're going to talk to Joe about this. Will this matter in the end? I don't know. It's all to me. It's just symbolic. That's all what he's doing. And I think the press still don't know how to deal with him. And in fact, Cheney mentioned this. He doesn't need you guys anymore. Like your job's done because he doesn't need you because he'll just go through Twitter, through Carrier, <laughs> create his own press moment. He doesn't need you. <sighs> no one knows how to handle this guy. But I think everybody keeps thinking it's politics as usual. But I, th- I think what Donald's showing us is it's not. It's not. He's breaking all the rules. Um, we'll get to all this fun, folks. What do you think? Donald Trump, he's changing the game. And uh, is, it, is it going to matter? Like Terry brought up, where does this end? How do you, do you get to every company? No. I don't. I mean, remember, that was a promise he didn't even know he made. Anyway, crazy stuff. Joe Cannon ahead. Stick with us. We'll help you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joe Cannon's on the line with us. You can tell because Bob Dylan's playing. Joe is uh, the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation and is our Washington insider, chairman of the Utah Republican Party from 2002 to 2006, was also a candidate for Senate and served uh, in the EPA with uh, President Reagan, under Reagan, um, and was an editor of the Deseret News. We're honored to have him. He, uh, he comes to talk to us, and we just pick his brain to see what he thinks about what's going on politically Joe Cannon, thanks for being with us. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, it's uh, – what do you think? Donald Trump saves 
all these jobs, uh, seven, eight, nine hundred jobs, depending who's counting, eleven hundred jobs with Carrier. And uh, what do you think? More symbolic or more just beginning of the future of Donald Trump? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's at least symbolic. I mean, there's no question that you know he he campaigned right there, and uh, you know during the campaign, whether he <laughs> recollects it as a promise <laughs> or not, he definitely made a big point of the jobs leaving, and you know he comes back in in a symbolic way and sort of with the help of the governor slash vice president elect. Uh, is able to work a package deal that gets Carrier to keep some jobs there. So, uh, you know, as you were talking earlier, it's not really possible to do that in every case. So I think it's largely sending a signal that we want jobs to stay, that he wants jobs to stay in America. Of course, most Americans want that. But, you know, one of the the issues here, and of course the Wall Street Journal took strong exceptions uh, on its editorial pages uh, against the carrier deal. And it is it does sort of violate the classic uh, conservative uh, economic free market principles. Mm. But you know what? I think that's part of the signal. I mean, there's all kinds of analyses going around that this is not the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan. It's the Republican Party of Donald Trump. Right. That it's you know, we I'll go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, we've we've talked in the past on, on your program about uh, the Republican Party is made up of multiple factions. Well, one of those factions just became more dominant than the other. Mm-hmm. In, in the uh, embodiment of uh, President-elect Trump. And so I, I definitely think this is a simple and I think lots of things that are going on that seem episodic are actually much more systemic in terms of looking at how he uh, plans to govern. I think we can maybe talk later about the whole Taiwan situation. Yeah. Uh, but that is also symbolic and probably pretty well planned. So, But anyway, back to the other thing. I mean, classical conservative free market thinking is you don't do torque around the system to benefit particular individuals. Right. You create a system overall that's that promotes the interest of all individuals. So while those workers may be there, and that's right, I, I don't, I'm not, not a, a opposed at all to those workers being there, but that fact is costing somebody something. It's costing possibly consumers who may have to pay more for carrier goods. It's costing taxpayers in, uh, in Indiana something. Okay, maybe it's minimal. I'm not, not going to argue about the magnitude here. But the fact is you can't – that invisible hand, uh, of which several of the figures already are government, but you start you know, putting pressure on, on, you know, on behalf of individual elements of the overall economic system, you end, you end up getting distortions. Well, yeah, you can, then, yeah, then you're just playing with the market, right? Right, and then that's a, that's you know again that's classic conservative free market economics, but that is not what Donald Trump ran on, and that is not why he won. Wouldn't he say uh, p- part of the problem because now Ford Motors may you know they were going to export more jobs, and now they're saying, well, yeah, we have to rethink if we're going to export jobs, but we do need a bunch of things to drop. 
which would be, you know, regulations, you know, um, tariffs, all these different trade agreements, all these things. Wouldn't Trump just argue the only reason we're doing this is to because the system has always been, you know, fixed against the companies with too much regulation, overregulation, EPA, all these things. I think the carrier uh, effort was symbolic and and a signal. But also to be to be fair, even to people who worry about the free market aspect of this, Trump clearly also campaigned on reducing the tax burden on corporations. Mm-hmm. That one reason that they leave is that America has the highest corporate tax rate. Uh, they have a huge regulatory burden, and if you look at every other things that are going on in the trans the transition, clearly targeting what in in his view are onerous, oppressive, uh, job job growth-destroying regulations. So he's, he's also uh, staked out a, a pretty big position on taxes and regulatory policy as, as uh, impediments to growth and jobs. No, right. Like he's just a total populist just doing something. But it's clear there's an element of his thinking that is not simply – just this uh, sort of um, uh, the fallback free market um, approach. What do you? I mean, this is again. I think the media still continues to underestimate him. Um, and I, he 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 did something nobody thought he could do. And uh, I, I don't I don't think they know how to read him. They just know that they're irritated by him. They don't like how he wings everything. In fact, let's get to the Taiwan issue. Um, Talk about what you think, because, you know, I guess as a country, we don't recognize Taiwan as an independent state, and we do so to continue relations with with China. And yet uh, now some of the news is saying that for two months he's been preparing for that call. Right. I mean, that's why some of the things he does do appear off the cuff. But now it appears, so to speak, that they're not necessarily off the cuff. So in the Taiwan, so the first wave of news out of Taiwan was, oh, he's stupid. He doesn't recognize uh, the whole elaborate uh, matrix of China-U.S. relations and what role Taiwan plays in that. Um, So I might might say the Trump campaign's first response room Nathan administration's first few months. Well, look, he was just uh, responding to mm. a call from her. Right. Well, yeah, it turns out that that's only partly true. In, in fact, he was. But there was apparently this whole elaborate dance put together to cause the call. So, um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I don't think my take is particularly unique. Trump campaigned against China loudly specifically uh, mentioning, you know, tariffs, mentioning taxes, mentioning currency manipulation. All of those things are mentioned. So I think this is part of his art of the deal, so to speak, uh, effort to push back on China, not to rethink and re- reignite the whole two-China policy issue, but just to post up, if you will, so mm-hmm. an NBA game, and he's Posting up under the basket saying, you know what, uh, 
you never ask us. He tweeted this, of course, in the new in the new network news uh, in the form of tweets. Now uh, he tweeted, said, "Look, they didn't ask us about currency manipulation. They didn't ask us about putting uh, a new military facilities in the Chi- South China Sea. Uh, they didn't ask us about putting tariffs on their goods or our goods. So why should we ask? That? Why why should we care? I mean, I I think it's a clear posting hmm. up." Uh, uh, I don't want to say, it's not a stunt. It's, it's it's real. I mean, he's he's uh, poking them where it hurts a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's funny because a, a lot of the pundits and um, who is the MSNBC female anchor at night? She she went off. Rachel 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 Maddow, Rachel Maddow went off about how ignorant he was in policy to do this because he's so clueless. He didn't know. He didn't ask anyone. And yet, in reality, if we find out that it was that orchestrated, he's it makes more sense how he got to president-elect. Right. Well, I, you know, of course, uh, the winners and losers, and if you switched them around, it would be the same. Uh, Rachel Maddow is never going to have anything good to say about mm-hmm. the strategic capability of Donald J. Trump. But it's it's pretty clear that I well I don't I don't think he was trying to recast China U.S. relations vis-a-vis Taiwan. That just happened to be a very convenient way to post up against the Chinese, saying, "Look, uh, there's a there's a new sheriff in town, and we have a, a different view on China trade, and it's going to be a good deal more pragmatic and." realistic and you don't hold all the cards Mm. well and that's it's pretty gutsy plus he can claim what she called me i didn't even exactly i didn't even want to talk to her crazy let's take a break joe we'll come back and i want to get into um the cabinet uh what's going on too with the secretary of state they're putting out some new ideas john huntsman one of them John Bolton, maybe again. Uh, That's coming back into the discussion as well. Plus, uh, Bob Corker seems more viable than ever. Stick with us. We're talking with Joe Cannon. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can go to fuelfreedom.org. He's trying to lower the costs of uh, fuel for us here in the United States. And uh, he's also has a really rich history politically. And we call him Joe in the know because he's just has a lot of friends, a lot of connections with people politically. And we like to run by some thoughts with him. Joe, thanks again for being with us. Thanks, Matt. What? Uh, uh, not sure. Not sure how much in the know I am. I just want to <laughs> periodically push back on you. Yeah, uh, today we'll say Joe in the snow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you've always hated that. Uh, well, it's better than you know the political czar that we think you are. The political, uh, not czar. That sounds yeah scary. Say, it looks like you're carried away. Here. Yeah, political uh, guru. Um, talk to me about what you think about some of his picks. Uh, um, you've got Mad Dog Mattis, I guess, as Defense Secretary. Uh, what do you think about that as a cabinet pick? Well, it's you know it's hard to see what's wrong with that. You know, by the way, he's 
called Mad Dog, at a term of endearment. Yeah. He's also, a lot of people know him as the warrior monk. He's a you know, very cerebral guy, apparently, deep reader, and, uh, but a, a true warrior. I mean, he, he gets that we're at war. And, again, his, the pick is perfectly consistent with how Donald Trump campaigned. So he said, we're going we're gonna to take this war to the enemy, and, you know, probably not a better guy to do that than uh, General Mattis. Um, so I don't know. What, what uh, President Obama used to say, uh, elections have consequences, and we're seeing the consequences. So far, this, this Secretary of State thing is, is curious and interesting, but so far the rest of the picks are all very, very consistent with how he campaigned. You know, and and there are also some very strong people. So it's not, you know, I, I don't know what people feared about who would be chosen. Would there be sort of Tea Party people from Western Pennsylvania? You know, I don't know. But but the picks are all hmm. very strong. You could you can have a lot of disagreements philosophically with them. I'm, right. That's, that's clear. But but you know, are you going to argue that Pompeo is? Not really qualified to be the head of the CIA. I mean, he graduated first in his class uh, at West Point, uh, Harvard Law School, has a deep background, served in the military, served in business. I mean, yeah, there, you can you can clearly people can make an argument about what he believes, but I don't think people can argue too much about how competent he is. Right, and then that that's true by and large. To I think through most of his picks so far, and if you want. You know, to as he can, he continues to call it like wasting more money in the Middle East, you know, conflict. Then let's get the thing done. And maybe James right, Mattis yeah. is the guy that can get in there and get get it done. Yeah. Um, what about because the problem is you have uh, General Flynn, you have Mattis in there, and now there's talk about uh, Petraeus maybe being Secretary of State. What do you think about having three generals in your cabinet? Well, it would be unprecedented. And I, though I think General Petraeus, you know, up with making caveats for obviously some personal flaws and, and problems, is a brilliant guy. I mean, yeah. He spoke at BYU a few years ago and uh, just was astonishing. I mean, he took questions from everybody, didn't duck things. He's a, a very smart, very able guy. But I'd be very surprised if uh, he was the guy who was actually chosen. But Donald Trump has surprised all of us <laughs> every day since he walked down those steps at Trump Tower. So yeah. I, well, I don't know. I mean, the neat thing about General Petraeus, uh, well, it's not like Do- Donald's put people with issues in their history, right? I mean, he's right. he, so he's not afraid of that. Um but I guess still on the list, though, and it looks like, you know, over the weekend they were they were very much kind of insinuating that uh, Mitt Romney, Giuliani, not necessarily top of the list anymore. But um, Bob Corker, Senate uh, Senator Bob Corker, former governor and ambassador to China, John Huntsman. What do you think about that? You know, John you know, Huntsman. I do. No, he's obviously would be a very strong candidate. He's wanted to be secretary of state for a long time. Uh, Trump is clearly playing the team of rivals card here. Uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, uh, I don't have any clue 
what's going on in that that uh, Secretary of State jumble. You've got all kinds of people in there, and they they represent a complete, well, not a complete, but a very broad spectrum of of people from pure diplomats to people like John Bolton who have been diplomats, but a lot of people say the the least diplomatic diplomat uh, in a long time, and he would be a person who would go in and shake up the bureaucracy of state. Uh, You've got Mitt Romney, the manager, who is also correctly called sort of the geopolitics of our time and who's an extremely good manager. You have Giuliani, the loyalist, uh, who's pretty much disappeared. You know, you don't see him commenting about anything right now. Mm -hmm. He's kind of laying pretty low. So, I mean, is all of this a smokescreen to eventually return to to Rudy? I don't know. I, I don't know. But yeah, but we keep adding people to the mix. Um, there's it's either tactically, you know, for some tactical reason, or maybe he's really just trying to find the right person uh, for the job, and he's looking at a variety of different uh, perspectives. Yeah, you wouldn't put it past him to be just doing all of this, you know, to just keep controlling the media attention. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's clearly it's the most visible to to most citizens uh, spot. And, you know, he's looking over this whole range. One, if you look at Corker, okay, is that aiming at uh, strengthening his, his position with the Senate? I mean, there, for each one of the candidates, there's, there's an explanation, some of which seem to be mutually exclusive. So it would be interesting how... Yeah, what what this decision will make it. Apparently, they want to get it all done this week. So. Yeah, what do you think of Ben Carson um, being tapped as department over the Department of Housing and Urban Development? Well, it, you know, it's a natural place for someone of his inclination. I think there's sort of a sweet irony of a guy who grew up in housing projects, mm. miserable and poor. I mean, I I, I have issues with. Dr. Carson's sort of overall worldview. I mean, he, he, I just felt like he was so out of place as a presidential candidate. But his story is one of the best stories ever. I, I would just say there's, I watched a movie, this is a long time before he ever became political. There's a really interesting movie about his life and how yeah. he literally, his mom couldn't read, but she forced uh, Carson and his brother to write book reports. And they really were in the project. They really were poor. He really learned how to work hard and work himself out and become, you know, one of the most, you know, difficult uh, professions around, you know, separating babies at birth. I mean, mm. it's just, a, a, you know, an amazing, an amazing, an amazing story. And I think that that he brings that that brings with him a lot to uh housing and urban development and he's again it's it seems to fit um his story it's this is is it when he walks in he's not a he's not an executive he's not a he's never run an organization that size how does a neurosurgeon go from neurosurgeon presidential candidate you know speaker world to running a huge 
organization? Well, uh, the only two possible answers to that question. One is it would be a complete and utter disaster if we were left up to Dr. Carson's managerial skills. Right. Um, or the other more likely outcome is you're going to have a very strong deputy secretary. You'll have a, a very strong set of assistant secretaries, all of which are political appointees, all of which are being vetted from policy slash management perspectives right now. And so he would be largely symbolic, and to the extent that he wasn't, it would be manifested through his his policy, putting quotes around that policy view, and his sort of emotional perspective from his history would be manifested through, hopefully, you know, strong uh, sub-cabinet leadership team. Yeah. So thank heavens, right, that there's the there's these – uh, assistant cabinet leaders, and um, what I guess in the end, all of these three, four thousand people have to get through um, the Senate and their hearings. And what do you think? And Congress, I guess. What do you think when we get into this, Joe, is going to happen? Are any of these appointees not going to make it through? I don't think so, because uh, but I don't I don't know, and it depends on what Mitch McConnell decides. But uh, Senator Reid and others uh, sort of busted the filibuster rule when it came to this level of right. appointee, and so that uh, I just I don't know, but I I don't I don't see at, again at this level. Um, the, the politics of the Senate sitting around saying, okay, we're going to give the Democrats a veto over our people. I, again, I don't have any inside knowledge on how that's going to work out, but there's certainly a lot of sentiment in the Senate to just, we're just going to go ahead and do business and we're going to nominate and confirm these people. Not, not all 4,000 of them need Senate conversation, right. but, but a very large number do. And uh, the Democrats are already signaling, okay, we're going to, we can't fight everything on every front. We're going to kind of focus on the regulatory side of things. Uh, the uh, Schumer and others have already posted up on EPA. They're going to make sure that they put a lot of heat on the EPA person uh, and some of the other positions like that at Interior and Energy. Hmm. Um, but, but again, how, how consequential is that if 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 the senate majority decides uh, we're we're not going to allow filibusters on on uh, these appointments then it really doesn't matter right and they have and they have a very strong clear precedent for doing that uh, uh at least for for circuit judges mm. and uh no reason to not just apply that across the board the real question is what's going to happen with the first Supreme Court appointee. Uh, because so far, the, quote, nuclear option, close quote, has, has not applied to the Supreme Court um, nominations. So, so, yeah, we'll have to see if they play that card. Um, yeah. What about – how do you feel the Democrats are doing and responding to the election? Um, because – Nancy Pelosi is back in as minority leader now. She won the vote there. And Chuck Schumer, 
So again, you have kind of East Coast, West Coast mentalities leading the Democrats uh, in Congress and Senate. Is that are they getting the message? Well, it's not clear. I mean, if you talk to Democrats, and it's certainly plenty of Democrat friends who say, "Look, we won the popular vote," right. and that that would be true. So at one level, they don't think they lost. They maybe have lost on a kind of a technicality. But but having said that, you mentioned Schumer from New York and Pelosi from California. California provided 100 percent of that popular vote um, victory. Right. Others, if you took California out of the picture, and by the way, if you took the five boroughs of New York City out of the picture – uh, you've got a landslide for Donald Trump. You've got a red country. Right. The blue is very is very concentrated. So at one level, anyway, that's obscuring that that they lost, uh, or why why Democrats lost. They're saying, well, we did lose. Look, clearly we won the the uh, um, popular vote. So I, I think part of it is that I I, I do think they're they're putting it, they. Many of the Democrats are putting on a pretty brave face in front, but there is there's a pretty widespread recognition that um, it was a tough. The Secretary Clinton was probably not their best candidate, hmm. and so I think the combination of winning the popular vote with a, a demonstrably weak candidate is saying to many Democrats, "Well, what, why why would we need to change?" We we if we had a stronger candidate and we did a few things differently just here and there and a few states, we win and the Republicans lose. Mm. So I don't think there's the kind of deep self-reflection going on that maybe should be going on. And the other thing that's happening, and this is uh, is that the Bernie Sanders, the kind of the left edge of the Democrat Party is sort of ascendant and they're saying yeah, all we need to do is double down on our populist mm. message and that 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 will work interesting uh, and, and and a lot of those folks do have their hands on the dials of uh, of of the uh, restructuring of the democrat party yeah oh it's crazy crazy times uh joe anything else we're missing we got about a minute uh, you know, and I've talked about a lot of things. Uh, um, or I'd just say interesting, and maybe this is for another day, but uh, if you look at the big big European and U.S. leaders, that, that would be Merkel, Obama, Cameron, Renzi, and Hollande. I don't know how to pronounce it in French, but uh, only one of those people is around anymore. Mm. Uh, and I think that's signaling some kind of a change, a, a global change. Don't know what it is, but uh, you know Renzi, the Italian prime minister, resigned after his uh, catastrophic defeat at at the polls for a, a referendum that he had. Uh, so it's just interesting. You're you're seeing um, some pretty significant changes globally too. Yeah, something's going on. Mean? Yeah, yeah. Joe Cannon's his name. Joe, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for being with us. Have a great week. We'll have you back next Monday as well. And again, you can go to fuelfreedom.org to find out more information about what Joe is uh, doing to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joe brings up a great point. Uh, there started out with five, you know, German Chancellor Merkel, Barack Obama, Italian Prime Minister Renzi, British Prime Minister David Cameron, um, boy, French Francois Hollande, all of a the sudden, they're all gone or choosing not to run again. I think Hollande's choosing not to run again. Renzi's resigning. Obama's uh, done with his terms. Cameron replaced. It's down to Angela Merkel. There is a change, a shift going on uh, in the Western world, at least. And so, you know, as as crazy as you feel about Donald Trump, recognize this is a movement globally. And um, so, you know, we got to figure out what's going behind it. What is the fear? Why are we why are these countries becoming so protectionist minded and um the more we understand that, I think the more you can allay some of the fears, but also get to solving some of the real issues behind it. Anyway, it's life. Just systems, they tend to change, don't they? We'll be back, folks. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. It's in the can. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy Monday to you. As you make it through Monday, it's uh, just starting to snow here where we are. And uh, mm 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 it was bad. I had some snow on the way here. I'm sorry. Plus, with the chest cold, you're lucky I'm here today. I just about pulled over and took a nap. <laughs> it was a bad drive. It's also, by the way, International Ninja Day. This is the day Everybody you celebrate <laughs> the ninjas in your life. The original ninja warriors were from the Iga province of Japan. And uh, these warriors were raised from the basic people of the countryside without access to proper armor, weapons, or training to use them. This is why so many of the weapons of the ninja are drawn from agricultural roots. You know, like a sickle. Or they created their own weapons. Throwing stars. Throwing stars. They use those to harvest corn. Isn't Batman a ninja, too? He was trained by a... uh, Never mind. (laughs) Don't want to get into that? (laughs) Way to way to self control right that there. That was amazing. I almost had him. His okay, eyes so the, just lit up. So he went out, hang out with the League of Shadows in the Himalayan mountains, and was able to learn the ancient art of the assassin. Wow. Yeah. No! Now you knew that just right off the top of your head. Yeah. Okay. He studied under Razo Ghul at a Lazarus pits. When he died, he'd jump in it and. Come back oh. to life. Everyone needs a Lazarus pit. That's how you I, cheat death. I had a Lazarus pit, but the doctor said, take a couple of these, and it went away. By the way, it's also National Communicate with Your Kids Day. Hmm. Today's the day you should talk to your kids. What about tomorrow? No. Nope. Good. Yeah, well, ignore them. I think one day's enough. You can get enough 
You can get enough out of it. Communicated that your kid knows what direction they should go in. A year's worth of wisdom in one day. Mm. Which leads us to our guest. Today we're going to be talking about the end of the American childhood. You know, a history of parenting from life on the frontier to a managed child. Now, you know, the child's life, they just, they're not free to roam. They're not free to do what they, they want to do, explore what they want to explore. Now they're pretty much just controlled. If I let my kid get on his scooter and go around the block, I would get phone calls. Oh, yeah. People so confused as to why my child is riding his scooter on the sidewalk around the block. Right. So you don't have free-range kids then? No. Hmm. Well, we have free-range chicken all the time. The chickens you can trust, but not your kids. Right. As long as they're free-ranging. No, you can't let your kids go like that. No. Are they at least vegetable-fed? <laughs> no, because he hates vegetables. Yeah, ours won't eat vegetables either, unless it's fried. I hate green things is what we hear at dinner. Really? Yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> Does the whole superpowers argument do anything for him? Nope. Okay. Does he like? It used to, but he's he's through that. Does he like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Mm-hmm. So he likes green things. Well, you know when they're you know, turtles. Yeah, but not when vegetables. On a plate. Yeah. But have you ever had turtle soup? No, me either. Hmm. It's the shell that gets me. It's probably illegal. Yeah, shell gets stuck in your teeth. See more regulations. Well, I, think, I think you boil the soup in the shell. Oh. Or do you eat it from the shell? I can't remember. Hmm. Mm. Sounds gross. Anyway, you look at it. <laughs> um, so we will be talking about the end of the American childhood with historian Paula S. Fass. What does turtle soup smell like? Turtle. Does it smell like the reptile cage at the zoo? No. Because that really offends. You know, it only yeah. it's only good if you slow cook it. Yeah. If you fast cook it, it's just not going to work. It's a turtle. You guys, turtles are cute. But they taste so good. (laughs) You are sick, sick. Hey, by the way, Mm. we also have an interview coming up. Hopefully, I'm going to spring it on him with an an interstellar, is that what we'd call him, friend. Mm. There's a lot of junk thrown up into space, and it's messing up space. We are cluttering space. So we will be going to our space expert, Maurice Pluto. Mo Pluto. Mo Pluto. The kind of angry, disgruntled dwarf planet. He was demoted. He doesn't know we're going to call him, but I want his take on life. Do you think he'll take your call? I don't know. I don't know. He's mad, though. He has a chip on his shoulder if he had a shoulder. Yeah. It's more of a chip on his... Hemisphere? I don't know. We have yeah. to figure that one out. Um, we, we're going to – sometimes we end up fighting. But you're going to try to avoid that this time, right? Yeah. Well, I always try to avoid it. It's just – He's just one of those guys that yeah. wants a confrontation. He's out there by himself. Yeah. Who's he going to talk to? Right. He'll take the call. Yeah. I mean, how often does his phone ring? Probably rare. Oh, see this. I think he would argue this is the type of stuff that sets him off. He, he feels like this is a personal jab. What? That he's alone out there freezing to death. He's cranky that like we don't care. We we like did the paparazzi moment with a satellite yeah. last year, or over the summer, or whenever that was, and that he just kind of swung by really quick, and that was it. There was really no relationship built. It was just yeah. 
I think he deserves some respect, though, because isn't he going to save us from the, that asteroid that's coming in about 150 years? Yeah, that's what he says. Yeah. But many think that he's the one making this mess. Hmm. I'm going to ask him about that. Don't blame it on the humans. It might be Mo. Mo's just pushing the garbage around out there. Anyway, Mo Pluto. He'll be up with us in a few minutes as well. So hang on to your hat. This is going to be fun. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Russian President Vladimir Putin praised President-elect Donald Trump on Sunday, characterizing him as a clever businessman. Trump was as, was an entrepreneur and a businessman. He was already a statesman. He is head of the United States of America, one of the world's leading countries, Putin said in an interview with NTV TV. Because he achieved success in business, it suggests that he is a clever man. And he is a, if he is a clever man, then he will fully and quite quickly understand another level of responsibility. Green Party presidential nominee Jill Stein is dropping her bid for a statewide recount in Pennsylvania after a judge asked for the required $1 million bond to initiate a recount. But Stein said late Saturday that she would file a court motion in federal court on Monday to demand a recount. The judges demand demand that voters pay such a large figure is shameful, an unacceptable barrier to Democratic participation, Stein said in a statement. This is yet another sign that Pennsylvania's election law is stacked against voters. Stein had unsuccessfully filed for recounts in Michigan and Wisconsin, two other states won by President-elect Donald Trump. Once in office, President-elect Donald Trump will decide whether to interfere with companies considering outsourcing on a day-by-day basis, Vice President-elect Mike Pence said Sunday. He is going to put on the table all the tools that are going to take away the advantages of companies that for far too long have been pulling up stakes, leaving American workers behind, Pence explained while speaking with ABC News. We're going to create trade policies that take away the advantages that these multinational corporations have had in moving jobs overseas now for decades. And finally, yes, ma'am. In more Christmas news, uh, in your Christmas uh, real estate news, mm, my favorite news. A popular real estate listing company added a listed for a famous but sadly off-market home, Santa Claus's house in the North Pole. <laughs> Zillow.com added the listing this week for Santa's home, which the real estate website estimates to be worth six hundred fifty-six thousand dollars nine hundred fifty-seven. Or $3,228 per month to wow. rent. The site says Sit, Sit St. Nick's North, North Pole abode was built in 1822 and underwent its last renovations in 2013. The house is said to encompass 2,500 square feet on a 25-acre lot. The listed features on the home include Santa's toy workshop, reindeer stables, river rock fireplace, and a sleigh parking garage. Wow. However, Zillow, Zillow did tweet that the home is expected to stay off the market for the time being. Thank heavens! Is um, I didn't know I didn't know that uh, that he would rent his place. I didn't either, but apparently that's what they've estimated it to be. So, if you can convince Santa Claus to rent out the North Pole house, then good for you. That's kind of a, that's a big deal. It's a great opportunity for anybody that wants to like start a business. You have a you have a workshop there, a uh, a little tool shop, I guess, with and yeah. a place to hold the. Are, do you get access to his flying fleet um, of reindeer? That's probably cost a little bit extra, like probably a thousand dollars extra. He might take those reindeer. with him. Yeah, when he moves, it's a good point. Take him to the condo. 
You'd think you'd have a, a, a much bigger house. Yeah. I mean, you'd think the guy well, would just have a mansion, I think, palace. I think the elves didn't want their housing listed as well. Okay, so sure. I think that's probably separate. That's I posted the listing point. on Twitter so you can look through the pictures of the house. Okay, really? So you can look at the different rooms, see if it's really something to your liking. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Hey, um, thank you, Sadie. That may come in handy because I might need to leave for a while and just go recuperate. But I guess I have to wait till after the big season. Now, it does say there the oven with the 12 different cookie settings. That's neat. That's not a normal yeah. type oven. That's a special, no, that's specially made. that's a special made. oven. So, you know, extra value. Oh, totally. How many times do you get 12 different cookie and settings? And the property's been on the rise since 2013. It went from like 450000 yeah. to 650 It's climbing to 700 so it may be investment property. Well, the real estate market's killing up there. That's Plus, you've got the winter monster that's up there. He scares me to death. Hey, um, here's a crazy thing not to do. A man admits stealing a wallet of a company president during a job interview. A Yokohama man was arrested Monday after he admitted stealing the president's wallet during the interview. Takeda is suspected of stealing the wallet containing $450 in cash from the president's bag um, during the interview at an elevator maintenance company. Police believe Takeda took advantage of the easy access to the bag when the president briefly left the room. And after the interview noticed, the president noticed that his wallet had disappeared, reported the incident to police, speculating that this guy had taken it. The president said only he and Takeda were in the office during the interview. I wonder if he got the job. Probably not. Guess no. But he really is. He's an enterprising young man. Opportunistic. Opportunistic. Would be a way to take it, yeah. <laughs> anyway. They they eventually um, they knew his phone number. They knew everything about him because of the application. He did not contact the company to learn about the results of his interview. Bummer. Doesn't that go without saying? Yeah, you'd think he that. was in probably jail. Well, you would think that. But how many times have we had a situation where the criminal does something stupid like that and calls back? So did I get the job or what? No, but we would like to talk to you about something else. Anyway, you know uh, experts say that there's too much space junk up in the atmosphere and it's humanity's greatest threat. All this garbage is hurtling around the Earth at 17,400 miles per hour. And contrary to popular belief, this is not the fault of humans. We've got an old familiar friend up there who is clearly the culprit. And of course, we're talking about the bitter, disgruntled dwarf planet Pluto, also known as Maurice Pluto, Mo Pluto, we call him on the show. So we thought we'd uh, have a little intervention, and uh, I'm going to give him a call. We're going to see, give him a call and, and find out why he keeps you know, messing with the atmosphere and spewing so much junk up there. Uh, you know, we're going to step in on this. So make the call. It's, it's long, long, long distance. So there's a lot of... Yeah, the rate fees on these are crazy. Man. A lot of numbers there. Yeah, what do you want? Hey, uh, is this is this Mo Pluto? Yeah, who wants to know? Hey, it's your buddy here, Matt Townsend, Doctor Matt from the Doctor Matt Show. I knew I'd be getting this call sooner or later. <laughs> you sound you sound upset, like you don't like like you don't like me. Do, do you know why I'm calling? 
Well, I've got a pretty good idea, and I, uh, you know, frankly, I really don't think it's any of your business. Well, uh, okay. Because I'm a human, right? Um, it is my business. See, Pluto, you got to clean up your life. You're just getting all that junk, throwing it around. It's coming down into our atmosphere. You got to help us keep it clean. It's Matt. It's my garbage. It's my space. So just back off. (laughs) Did we just wake you up? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did just wake up. Yeah, you seem a little ornery. Um, You got to admit, though, Mo, uh, about a hundred million pieces of space junk. It's a bit excessive, right? Well, yeah. Well, uh, so is your radio show. Pardon? Like that. Hmm? That's that's kind of rude. Um, here's the deal: you leave your garbage around up there. It makes me feel like you don't care about me, about my people here on Earth. You know, you're jeopardizing future generations from traveling through space. We'll never be able to come visit you. We won't legitimize well, the fact that, you know, that you're you know, a dwarf planet. You know the old saying: you know there there ain't room enough in space for the two of us. Yeah, that's that's not how the saying goes. Matt, why would people want to live up here anyway? You know, it's, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. The food's nothing to write home about. There are no sports teams. You know, we don't got the cubbies or nothing. And the dating scene is a joke. I mean, it's just a bunch of backstabbing planets who will dump you at the drop of a hat whenever a bigger, more gassy planet comes along. Hmm. Sounds like you're still sore about Saturn breaking off your engagement. You still, you still, you haven't gotten over that, have you? Listen, you man. you loved her. Listen, listen, listen to me. Why can't you just accept the fact that this is who I am? You know, in this whole discussion, nobody's mentioned my feeling, how I'm feeling. Like, you know, maybe there's something deeper that's going on than my litter problem. But you know, I, I'm not the doctor, Doctor Matt. You are. Yes, I am, Pluto, and I can sense you're really sad. You're hurting. That deep, deep down in that cold, little, itty-bitty, tiny, dwarf planet heart of yours, that pathetic little, there's, a, there's just, a, just a tiny little heart in there, and that you need to be understood better. So why don't I, I'm going to have my assistant call you, and we're going to set up an appointment. I'm going to help you walk through this. Oh, I get it. I, I see what you're doing. You know, just, just when I think we're starting to make progress, you have to bring up money, you know, I can't believe this. You're no different from any of those, you know, timeshare or real estate scammers who dangle a carrot in front of my nose only to yank it away and require me to pull out the credit card. No, no, no. I wasn't. I, did, I didn't say anything about money. No, 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 no. You relationship coach slash former divorce mediator slash radio host, you're all the same. You know that? See, this is why we don't talk anymore, Matt. Just for this. Hey. I'm going to put my recyclables in the compost bin. What do you think about that? That would be great. That's a great start, by the way. Goodbye, Matt. Because <laughs> at least... No, did you hang up? Hello? Mo. Mo, are you there? Mo Pluto. Hello? I don't care where you put your recycles, your recyclables. Keep them on your planet. Dig them deep. Sell them cheap. <sighs> I ticked him off again. Mo gets mad. I'm just trying to help him. But he's had this issue with Saturn for I don't know how many centuries. And he doesn't ever get over it. She was the love of his life, I think. Well, yeah, but he's a dwarf planet. 
He's a cold dwarf planet. Sounds like maybe you have some issues with him. Maybe you ought to get some counseling, too. Nah. We should bring the two of you together in, in the same room again. We could do a little mediation. Figure out how to bridge the gap between Earth and Pluto. Anyway, ticked him off again. Well, I think the problem is you can't call him this early in the morning. He's a, He sleeps in. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're talking about the end of American childhood. Stick with us, folks. With the concept of adolescence, American parents, especially those in the middle class, used to be able to predict the staging of their children's maturation. But adolescence soon became a vision of normal development that was applicable to all youth. It's bridging character, connecting childhood and adulthood, giving young Americans a structured way to prepare for mating and work. Well, now that bridge is sagging at both ends as the innocence of childhood has become more difficult to protect and adulthood is now being delayed. Here with us to today to discuss the issue is Dr. Paula S. Fass, who recently authored the book, The End of American Childhood, A History of Parenting from Life on the Frontier to a Managed Child. Dr. Paula S. Fass, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Matt. This, it was a fascinating read. Um, I read an article that, uh, that I know you were a part of, The End of Adolescence, um, and it's a... I guess part of adolescence hasn't always been a concept, right? It's it's an it's an external construct. It seems like that we've applied to our children through um, history. Explain to us what your your view of this. What's happening to just the child growing up and eventually moving on? How does ad, how was the concept of adolescence placed in there? Well, um, uh, it's, uh, it is, as you correctly said, a historical concept, and it, it developed really by the, in the very late 19th century, and it's particularly an American concept. Uh, by the early 20th century, G. Stanley Hall wrote a two, huge two-volume tome, two tomes uh, called Adolescence, trying to define the physiological, psychological, emotional, uh, and, all, and you know, all, having everything to do with the development of what he described as adolescence. My argument in this article is that adolescence, as it, as it emerged in the early 20th century, was a very particular kind of social perspective, that, it's, uh, that it, it had a role to play because of the, the kind of society that was developing. And Americans began to develop institutions for adolescence, for that period, that in-between period, that was more than just puberty. Every society recognizes puberty because children develop sexually and become larger and stronger physically. But adolescence as an extended period of development between childhood and full adulthood was a very 20th century concept. And um, I argue that the high school especially, uh, as an American institution, as an American invention, 
was the was the institution that defined adolescence and allowed parents to be able to predict and understand that transformational period that transition between early uh, between childhood which was a protected and innocent time and adulthood which was a period of responsibility today the high school no longer functions that way hmm. because it no longer is usually for middle-class children, for middle-class kids, the end of schooling, nor does it introduce most American children to full mating through marriage or a complete responsibility through work. So the kind of transition that adolescents once performed is no longer effective. And as I say, because both childhood is no longer that period of innocence, and adulthood is now long, this delayed longer and longer into the 20s, and in some cases the 30s, because of extended schooling and because people don't settle down until later. So that whole concept of adolescence is no longer germane. It's no longer really relevant. And I think that a lot of American parents are floundering as a result. They simply don't know how to predict and how to understand what's happening to their young people. It's such an interesting point. We, we, we would expect that they'd be, in a way we think, hey, they're done with high school, so we're sending them on their way. But really, they're still going to go to four more years of college, still not get married and not have a job that would support them until the end of that. Exactly. But they're out of the house, supposedly. Well, you know, a lot of kids now come back to the house even after they've been to college. Right. So what we have now is a real period of delay in maturation um, and, a, and an extended dependency that's really changing how American parents evaluate the whole question of how to raise their children. You know, one of my, the arguments in my new book, The End of American Childhood, is that American parents uh, developed a very strong, uh, a, a strong commitment to the independence of their children, which was different than, than European parents or other Westerners. Uh, and they, they, they saw their children as needing to move in an independent direction early on. Well, that's being challenged now as children hang around longer, are dependent on their parents because of extended schooling way beyond high school, and that some of these children now come back because in a globalized economy, even the training they're getting in college is now often not adequate to provide them with an effective job that will lead to adulthood. So we're, li- we're living in a, in a very transformative period where some of our most basic ideas and commitments about parenting are being challenged. Mm. It, um, it's, it's, it's funny, too, because it seems like, Paula, an issue that I am experiencing myself, but I've never known to tie it to this historical process of adolescence. I mean, I've never thought of it that way. When you say you're experiencing yourself, you mean... I have, I have children. I have, a, uh-huh. I have 22, 23, mm-hmm. or 23, 21, 19-year-old children, and I wonder when they're going to fly. Exactly. Exactly. And I've and I've worried more about it, but then I think, well, we got to let them go. We got so it really is a con- it's a concept. This adolescence, um, and it used to make more sense probably fifty years ago when someone might leave the house at eighteen and be done. That's correct. That's exactly right. And the, uh, fifty years ago, they might actually marry at twenty and 21. right. No right. They moved on to their own adult stage. 
what what do we do? I mean, because this isn't it's it is we we keep it seems like complicating it by you know now we're finding out that the the brain's not even mature till 25 and so that becomes the psychological approach to this so do we just keep extending adolescence into the 30s is that the next well, I thing I don't actually think that's possible because adolescence as it was initially conceived was was meant to be a a, a, a longer period than puberty which is just a you know a year or so right uh, but 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 not supposed to go on forever. So we are actually now in a situation where we don't have an adequate word for it. We have a word for teenagers. We know who teenagers are because that's defined in a sense in, by the term itself right. from 13 through 19. But adolescence, which was coincident in some ways with teenage, is no longer adequate. And we don't really want to call the children whom we send, send off to college and graduate school, we don't want to call them kids. Right. So there is a new term that's come out, which is called emerging adulthood uh, by a, a, a psychologist whose name is Arnett. And that kind of captures it, but kind of not, too. I mean, the nice thing about adolescence is that you understood that people were neither adult nor children. Mm. That it was this bridge, as I describe it, between childhood and adulthood. And now the bridge is sagging in part because it's gotten too long. It's not, it can't carry the weight. Mm. Part of what's happened is that colleges are beginning to step up to the plate uh, because of a lot of emphasis on drunkenness and a lot of discussion of rape on campus. There's a new awareness that kids in college who have been freed in some ways because the usual assumption in the past was that they were adults is no longer adequate, that they're really not adults, and that they they need much more counseling, they need more direction, they may actually need more protection, which is some which are some of the things that I think the deans of students are beginning to contemplate now. Um, but it's going to be difficult to describe people who are going to college or graduate school as adolescents, when what we have in our mind as adolescents is a, a different kind of period. Right. A, a, you, 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 um, you brought up an interesting point, because initially we needed adolescence as a kind of a, as a category, because these kids were too young to be to treated as adults and taken advantage of as workers, and, but they were also, they were, they, but they were older than, you know, children. They were they were in that stage. So historically it was to protect them from being from being, I guess, advanced or taken advantage of. You're exactly right. Um one of the one of the, the, the roles of adolescence was to allow the view of protecting them and supervising children, older children, to provide a kind of protective umbrella that, that uh, the Western world had developed around childhood in the 19th century to protect them, uh, protect them against exploitative work and to protect girls 
um, against sexual, uh, the, the kind of early consent to sexuality. Mm. So there were all kinds of laws that were created in the late 19th and early 20th century, which delayed the period at which girls could give sexual consent. So these were all ways of protecting young people and protecting them from things like not only work, but drinking and smoking, various kinds of bad habits, so that you extended that protective umbrella of, of childhood to adolescence. You can't really do that forever, right? Uh, despite the fact that now we're dealing with young people who are not adults yet. So how do you treat them? And we have, a, we're, our society today is, is very confused is all I can say. On the one hand, uh, young people can use contraceptives, and young girls in many states can get abortions without their parents' consent, but they can't drink until they're 21, <laughs> technically. Right. Um, uh, so we are, we are very confused. Uh, so that the, the whole concept of adolescence, which had allowed for a clarification of that period of time, is no longer, it, it doesn't work. Um, uh, we let young people vote at the age of 18. Most of them don't, but at least they, they certainly are permitted to vote. So um, we need to rethink where we are, and I haven't seen a lot of intellectual thought being given to it. And it's one of the reasons I wrote this article, to, to make us realize that uh, parents especially as you said, Matt, yeah. are being left in the, you know, left not being able to figure out or to predict or to help. Uh, you know, intellectual concepts allow us to help and understand things. Mm. And institutions provide us with ways of organizing our behavior. And today we have neither the institutions nor the intellectual, um, the intellectual ammunition to allow us to cope with what's going on. Oh, it's such a great point. Um, again, we're speaking with Dr. Paula S. Fass. She is um, a currently professor of the Graduate School and the Margaret Byrne Professor of History Emerita at the University of California at Berkeley and the author of the book, The End of American Childhood, A History of Parenting from Life on the Frontier to the Managed Child. We will take a break, come back more with Dr. Fass and her wonderful work here, trying to find out what we do. I mean, what do you do as a parent? Um, also, we keep calling their, their inability, these adolescents or now emerging adults, inability to take off in life as a failure to thrive. And yet it really is, sounds like it's more just a byproduct of the process we've placed them in. We'll continue the discussion. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about the process of adolescence, right? This stage of adolescence. And it's a difficult time for both those going through it, but also for the parents uh, who are raising these emerging adults and wondering, what is the deal? 
and the failure to you know to launch sometimes that we're seeing. So we we found a wonderful article that we highly recommend. The end of adolescence. Um, it's uh, basically it's got the insights from Dr. Paula S. Fass, who's currently a professor of the graduate school and the Margaret uh, Graduate School at Berkeley, and the Margaret Byrne Professor of History Emerita at the University of Cal Berkeley. Um, she also is the author of the book, The End of the American of American Childhood, A History of Parenting from Life on the Frontier to the Managed Child. She's helping us sort through the historical perspective of uh, of adolescence as well as what the future might look like. Uh, Professor Fast, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's 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 great fun talking to you. And I I, I would like to say that um, as a historian, it's very difficult for me to try to predict how we're going to yeah. move. But I but I can say, and this is where we kind of left off, that um, we're always caught in our historical moment as well as in the product of our historical past. And in many ways, that's where we are in terms of adolescence. We're still struggling with this concept, which is no longer adequate for us to understand what's going on. And like you um, said, the institutions play a part in this, too, because um, now you're even seeing at universities, they're starting to realize there's a gap here. These people aren't ready they have to address issues like alcohol uh, or you know binge drinking on campus. They have to ad- address rape on campus and other issues on campus. Absolutely. I think that's what's going on. When we're trying uh, – universities are trying to adjust and parents are trying to adjust – you know, one of the one of the the realities today is that parents are what we call helicoptering mm-hmm. because they're trying they're trying to figure out what they can do and how they can offer their children and their adolescents and post adolescents support through increasingly difficult times. I mean, we are looking at a variety of economic and cultural changes. Uh, the economic changes in terms of globalization and an economy that's that's changing rapidly, requiring skills that uh, a lot of people know uh, people in the past didn't have, uh, technical skills and education beyond the high school. But also, we're trying to adapt to the kind of information that's now available on a, a 24 hours a day, every second of the day, through the internet. Mm. Those are all things that parents are worried about and trying to cope with. And they're concerned about it um, both for their younger children and for their for their older children. Uh, work, for example, is not something they necessarily can predict anymore. And uh, the availability of uh, information and pornography and sexual and violent content of all kinds, which is now which is now something the internet offers, makes parents very very nervous. And I think that part of what's going on is um, that they're trying to protect their children for longer periods of time. Mm. That makes so much sense, right? We 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 have to, and and yet the longer we helicopter parent and the longer we just keep seeing this as, you know, they'll grow up eventually. It just seems like the the tail end of this gets longer and longer and longer till they're yes. home at 35 and 45 years old. You've got it exactly right. That's the paradox. The paradox that we are trying to protect them and we have every reason to want to protect them. This is after all our children. 
uh, both as a society and as individual parents. I have children as well. And yet we also know, or else we should know, that we need to instill them with certain kinds of grit and independence and the ability to cope on their own. And how to do that in a time of major transformation and what looks like very threatening change is a very difficult kind of parental uh, obligation right now. Mm. Uh, and, it's, and it comes at a time when parents are also expected to do more. You know, this idea of perfect parenting yeah. uh, and doing everything just right. Uh, and parents, too, are being examined on the Internet. You know, there's an enormous number of conversations on the Internet, in magazines, in newspapers, about what good parenting is all about. So this is a, this is a tough time uh, for parents. And one of the things that I like to tell them is that American parents have been through tough times before, that this isn't the first time that we've confronted change. And we've managed and um, we've directed our children and we've protected our children. We've also let our children go. And that that's something we also need to remember. That in the end, they may be better able to adapt than we are. Hmm. Uh, they're younger. They're more pliable. And just in terms of the Internet, for example, and, and things related to technology, they're more adept at it than we are. Yeah. So maybe trusting them and, and extending more trust toward them is a, is a good idea. It's interesting. Um, here at BYU and the LDS faith, they send their missionaries out, these young men and women at, um, at young ages, right? 19, yes. 18, 19 years of age. And so there's this rite of passage that at 19, you're on your own. You're, you're going to go live for two years, but in an incubator in another country, only supposed to do certain things that it's but it almost ends up becoming kind of a brilliant play it's where brilliant. the word I was going to use, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. And, but it's interesting now we're even sensing that some of these kids aren't ready at 19 to go uh-huh. do that. And, and they, they're coming home with other issues and struggling. Uh-huh. And so it's it's powerful in that um, we they, they need a rite of passage to go leave mm-hmm. and grow up. But they, it still needs to be safe in a nice little setting. You know, I, I'm so glad you told me that, because that, that, that suggests to me that even something uh, that has been as successful as the, uh, as, as the experience of your community is now under, is being challenged yeah. because of the larger issues that are affecting chil- uh, Western children yeah. everywhere and adolescents. And technology is part of that, because mm-hmm. some of these kids can't, because when they go out and serve an LDS mission, they're not to be using their technology like they were. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's okay. so it, it ends up it ends up becoming they have to go through stages of, you know, mm-hmm. addiction relief and getting rid of their technology and mm-hmm. it's a big sacrifice. So mm-hmm. but it is it's a it's a growing up stage. Do you sense I mean but that's interesting too cuz that's an institution helping to do that. Exactly. It is an institution. It has been one of those institutions that for for a long time successfully negotiated that transition, but is now not quite adequate to the the changes that are taking place. Talk about what other, what you see universities could do. Um, How do we, because it's almost like if we hand off what used to be the high school experience to now the university, um, 
is this ever going to end? <laughs> is it? Are we just going to then hand it on to grad school? To grad school. And then to well, work? <laughs> I have to tell you, my son has asked me that forever. You know, when does it stop? You know, when do you, yeah. when do you stop preparing for the future? When, does, when is the future finally here? Um, I can't imagine, although lots of things were once unimaginable, but... I can't imagine that it can go on forever. I do think we're going to have to adapt. And one of the things that, I, that may happen, and this is just a thought, mm. is that we may actually have to transform the high school from what it's been up till now. Because for a long time, it was the final institution. Right. And we allowed it to be four years long. It doesn't have to be four years long. It can also provide some students with more specific training than it now provides, where it's nothing but a kind of entry to college, which some students don't effectively negotiate. So we can rethink our institutions. We've done them in the past. The high school, in many ways, that we knew in the 20th century was an invention of the early 20th century. And they had reinvented an earlier institution. So we can do that. Hmm. We can also shorten the college experience. Yeah. We can make it three years, which is what it is in England, for example, rather than, than four years. So, uh, you know, these are all human creations. And right. as human creations, we can recreate them and adapt them to the, as, as we become more aware of, of the challenges that we're facing. Uh, I think we can do all of those things, including, a, you know, make the colleges more supportive of students, um, more supervisory. I think that there may be some resistance, but after all, there used to be parietal rules. When I went to college uh, in the middle of the 60s, we started out with parietal rules, and freshmen had to be in their dorm rooms by 10 o'clock at night. Hmm. So things can come back and they can circle around depending on what the circumstances are and what the demands are from parents and, and, and other things, and, yeah. and legal demands, too, as this issue of rape, for example, on campuses has become, um, as you probably well know, yeah. uh, a very public issue. And it and, and, and it's, seems to be even more deeply impacted along with binge drinking and those things with some of the younger um, college groups as well. Mm-hmm. So, as, stu- as students, in a sense, feel like they've been free mm-hmm. and have no supervision whatsoever. So there are things that we can and probably will do uh, having to do with the period, the length of time that students are preparing themselves for work and for the future. And uh, the kinds of supervision that that students can undergo. After all, that's what the high school created. Yeah. So it's not impossible. We just have to become more aware of the challenges we're facing, and and understand that they're historically contingent. Yeah, and and things happened in the past, and they can happen differently today and in the future. It sounds like bringing back some of those old ideas again, air quote old ideas, might save the young folk again. That's right. Oh, it's such great advice. Dr. Paula S. Fast, thank you so much for your insights and for your great work. Everybody, go read the book, The End of American Childhood, A History of Parenting from Life on the Frontier to the Managed Child. It's about awareness, isn't it? It's about understanding this issue. You're not just a parent that's going crazy out there. There is something going on with these young adults, these adolescents, these emerging uh, adults. And we got to address it. We got to see what part of the problem we are 
see if we can't create more grit, more um, intentional experiences to help our children grow up in a healthy, happy way. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Diddy Dental, obviously a sign here on the Matt Townsend Show that we're, we are trying to um, attract the younger, the younger listener. And have you seen Ron with those new oh, grills? What a grill. He looks amazing. He does. Yeah, I think he looks 10 years younger. At least. Don't you think? Yeah, they say, I think it's the old saying that if you wear a set of grills, it, it shaves off 10, 10 years. Yeah, and 20 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, the, uh, we were talking about adolescence. The a sheriff's department is, is taking on from Pasco County is, is he's got, they've got a new idea. Like what if instead of just, you know, p- you know, putting up a picture of, um, of a perp, the perpetrator and their mugshot, instead, let's start taking pictures of them and in handcuffs Maybe not looking as strong as the average criminal. So instead, what they've been doing, they uh, they they, for example, chased one guy down, and a photo of Marquis Porter was showed showing two deputies deputies gripping chunks of his dreadlocks as he sat on the grass with his hands behind his back. Sheriff's office say it's trying to make such posts a normal part of the budding social media strategy that has amplified their online presence. What they're doing is they're saying they're putting a sad criminal of the day, and I guess a lot of criminals, once they're arrested, they break down into tears. Yeah, and you do not want a picture of you crying to get out there. No, because that just that'll just be they'll eat you alive in prison. So now they're just posting all these pictures of the criminals having their breakdowns, no longer glorifying the high speed chase, no longer glorifying the criminal. Now they're just a bunch of crybabies. So. <laughs> That's one way to deal with it. Uh, We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Happy Monday to you. I'm battling a cold. So I have that deep, uh, rich voice. Welcome to the show. It's Monday, and man, have we got a lot to talk about today. It is International Ninja Day. This is the day you celebrate the ninjas out there, and the ninja that's inside of you. Every one of us has a little ninja in us. That was Terry's ninja today going off. Hmm. That was that was my reaction when I went into the new uh, BYU food room. Yeah, I saw and that. noticed that there were no price tags on any of the food. Well, it's like yeah, it's a surprise. It's a, really an honor system in there. It is. There's no one watching it. It's a self checkout situation. I know. Well, I think they do have cameras, don't they? 
Yeah, you can fool know. cameras. I've watched enough shows. You just bring that black paint that you spray into your rain gutters to yeah. seal them off. And just spray that on the camera. Yeah. If you're a ninja, you can get away with it. Yeah, so. all you'd see is a flash of black. What was that? It must have been ninja. And then if you go look at the video camera, there's some star, some metal star just shot right into the camera like, and broke it. Cookie's there. Cookie's gone. Cookie's not there. <laughs> It's International Ninja Day. It's also National Communicate with Your Kids Day. Hmm. Yeah. It's, like with words? Yeah. Okay. Mm. That's a little uncomfortable. Do you notice how we all just quit communicating right there when we said that? Yeah, we're trying to think. I don't know if, is that a useful day, do you think, Matt? Yeah. I mean, it is. You need to talk to the kids. Hmm. I don't know how to communicate with my kids because we don't share the same interests. Like, my kids don't like food. They don't? How am I supposed to have a conversation with somebody that does not like food? Well, how do they not die? They manage to evade death somehow. <laughs> I bet your wife slips some food. Maybe. She must. Because they'd be dead by now. My kids love food, and we have a lot in common. But we also have technology, so we just like to sit there quietly well, we all play on our own technology. But you're together. Yeah. In the same room. Well, yeah. We, Family time. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. There's not a lot of connection unless we play the same game. Right. But maybe Kim can help us with that. Now, maybe if you do words with friends, that would count as yeah. communication. Yeah, totally. That is. Because that that's a word. So last night, this is a great friends. story. My wife is like three points ahead on this words with friends game we're playing. And there's like four letters left. And of course, I find the one like 42-point combination that I could find in the whole board. Just blow her out of the water. She thought she was going to win. Yeah. She didn't win. Nailed it. I won. Does she not like you anymore? I don't know. She was asleep when I was playing. I wanted to like wake her up and go, in your face. But So you won. You beat somebody that was asleep. Well, you know, she already played. It was his turn. It was my turn. She'll I just go, happened to When she wakes up and reads it. She'll be frustrated because she, yet again, I won. She probably said, gee, before that nap, I didn't remember having all vowels in front of me. Yeah. Did you swap some letters? No. Okay. I don't like swapping. It seems like you're just. It's cheating. You're che- well, you're just passing on your turn. It's like you could always put one letter somewhere and get two points. Yeah. So just do it. That was a little. Uh, Lesson in words with friends, words with friends philosophy. Go ahead. Powerful stuff. We'll get to that. Get rid uh, of your cues early. You don't want to hang on to a cue. We're going to do more in Mind depth. your P's and Q's. Right, right, right. Sorry. I'm trying to do a show here. <laughs> dot all your I's and cross all your T's. Have you ever crossed an I and dotted a T? Ooh, you never hear the end of that. No. no. Wouldn't they look like a T and an I anyways, just opposite? No. No? Go ahead. Don't want to interrupt your show. That's a really good point, by the way. Just, just trying to do a show here. <laughs> Not to get in your way, guys. Sadie's in there chomping at the bit, wanting to do her news. You Sorry. guys keep talking about words with friends. You're Did losing friends right here. My deepest apologies. We'll have an update on words with friends later. Um, we've got so much to get to. We'll do the news with Sadie Nielsen, and then we're going to come back, talk to Kim Giles. We'll talk to the good brethren at BYU Sports Nation, hero of the day, plus uh, a lady that threw a birthday party or a party. But at the end of the party, she ends up shooting guests. 
That's not nice. Not a good party. You ought to play words with friends. Not shooting guests at the end of the party. Not a good game. We'll get to all that craziness. But first, Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on? Ford Motor Company could be persuaded to halt outsourcing plans and to keep manufacturing jobs here in the United States, executives indicated in interviews with Bloomberg and Detroit Free Press on Friday. But if President-elect Donald Trump hopes to replicate his deal with Carrier, an air conditioning manufacturer that wanted to move some 2,100 jobs from Indiana to Mexico, he'll have to meet Ford's demands. We will be very clear in the things we'd like to see, said Mark Fields, Ford's chief executive officer, to Bloomberg. High on the list are tax reform, free trade rules, and a relaxation of fuel economy regulations that have automakers producing more electric vehicles than they can sell. President-elect Donald Trump is expanding his pool of candidates for Secretary of State, leaving unclear whether former CIA Director David Petraeus' guilty plea for leaking classified information disqualifies him to serve as the nation's top diplomat. There's not a finite list of candidates for Secretary of State, top Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway told reporters on Sunday. More than four. Who knows how many finalists there will be. The remark comes a week after Mr. Trump's aides confirmed that the president-elect has settled on four finalists for the post. The AP reports that sources close to the transition team say Trump is moving away from former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Mitt Romney for the Secretary of State job. A federal judge ruled late Sunday that Michigan must begin its recount of its presidential election by noon on Monday. In the ruling, Judge Mark Goldsmith rejected any effort by state officials who said the cost to taxpayers was an undue burden to delay the recount ahead of a December 13th deadline. Goldsmith ruled that Jill Stein, the Green Party presidential nominee, proved the likelihood of irreparable harm in delaying the recount by even a few days. President-elect Donald Trump won the Electoral College but lost the popular vote by more than 2.5 million. In Michigan, he defeated Hillary Clinton by only 10,704 votes. Stein earned only about 1% of the vote in that state. And finally... Yes, ma'am? This was probably the most hilarious and bizarre video I've ever seen. I have to tell you about it. There is a video currently trending of a man punching... A kangaroo with a right hook. (laughs) Wow. After the roo attacked his dog and it's gone viral on the internet. (laughs) In the video, the man jumps from a truck to save his dog from the kangaroo. The man jumps um, and approaches the roo and the dog and the roo is holding the dog in a headlock. And so the roo lets his dog go and stands toe to toe as they start to circle each other like boxers. The man (laughs) then throws a punch at his face and it connects Right in his face. (laughs) And then the roo ran away, and the man and his dog ran the opposite direction. No way. Most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my entire life. He's just, he literally, like, puts his hands up. The man does, like, he's boxing, and the kangaroo, you know, is jumping around him like he's going to punch him. But the man, of course, makes the first right hook and nails him right in the face. And the kangaroo, you know, flings his head back. (laughs) And he runs away. (laughs) She just reenacted the entire thing right in the other room. It's so there. sad you can't see it. <laughs> you know what? I'm watching it right now. Unbelievable. Bizarre. It, and the dog was really beat up. Apparently. Lots of blood. And we're going to put this on our Twitter feed. And then the guy punches the kangaroo. If I had a dollar for every kangaroo I've had to punch, though, mm. I wouldn't have any money. Man, Sadie, thanks. Kangaroo update. And he did. The guy got a punch off. What do you do when a kangaroo squares up? Because they've got like some pretty sharp little claws. They could beat you down with their tail. Oh, yeah. 
It's their feet you want to watch. Watch their tail. Always keep your eyes on their tail. (laughs) Yeah, then they got back up in the pouch when Joey jumps out. Surprise! It's unfair. Once you're down, then the little Joey pops out and just starts pummeling you like a speed back. I got him, Mom. (sighs) That just made me think of Blossom. Joey popping out and saying, whoa. Hmm. Remember that show? Yeah, trip down memory memory lane there. That was great. Whoa. I think that's all he said. Yeah, that was his only line. 100 grand an episode. (laughs) He's doing fine. Hey, we told you earlier about a woman that ended a party by shooting at guests. Bay County, Florida. Out of Florida, by the way. Surprise. Who felt like her visitors had overstayed their welcome. Opened fire on them early Monday morning. Alana Annette Saville, 32, told investigators that her guests had come over to hang out uh, and began drinking. They got a little too loud. But uh, Saville and her boyfriend said there is a solution to this problem, using a 22 caliber handgun to shoot at the guests' feet, according to a news release from the Bay County Sheriff's Office. The suspect's boyfriend stated to investigators that he was told his girlfriend, that uh, once someone is told to leave their property three times, she is uh, she's good to go get the gun and start shooting it at the ground. Yeah, that's uh, that's common Florida Party law, etiquette. isn't it? Get them out. Yeah. If that doesn't work, then you can shoot people in the leg. The guest definitely got the message and left, but one of them was stuck, or uh, was struck in the leg. Deputies wrote. And now the boyfriend was hit with a bullet in the leg. Saville is charged with aggravated battery with a firearm. So the boyfriend was then asked to leave three times. Yeah, and then he got shot. And he wishes he wouldn't have given her that advice. I have a feeling that that's not accurate advice. When you ask somebody to leave three times doesn't mean you just get to start shooting near their feet. If you keep asking them, then you get to shoot them in the leg. It doesn't. Hmm. I don't think that's. I think uh, in the Wild West, that's how it worked. Well, but yeah, they're they're in Florida or in the Wild Everglades. Things are different there. Yeah, we know this. So, how many parties have you hosted though, where by the end you're just exhausted and you wish more than anything that your guests would just leave? Yeah. So you could lay down and watch some Netflix, catch some Z's. That's why I don't hold parties. Dot your eyes and cross your T's. Just don't go to a party. All you got to do. I just. Matt goes upstairs and goes to sleep. I just go to bed. His wife deals with everybody else. You just say, just let yourself out. Yeah, let the cat out. Walk up out the trash. Yeah. (laughs) Walk away. Nobody says anything. Or sometimes I just, like, take my clothes off, get my jammies on, Mm. put my headset on, start listening and watching my own movies. In that order? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you do. Just a little advice from Dr. Matt. Hey, any other headlines we need to pay attention to, Terry? Stanford University did a study attempting to judge news literacy among students and examine how they might respond and evaluate stories gathered from Facebook and Twitter feeds. Really? The idea being they call them uh, Internet natives, where you're, you're born, the Internet exists, this is what you've always used, you are able to function in many levels of social media and do all kinds of things. So maybe you have some sort of built-in filter. Like you know what's yeah. real and what isn't. Huh. Or you have a better idea of kind of sussing out the fake. Hmm. What do you think? No. No? No. Like on a percentage. 
Oh, I don't know. What would you think? Low. Low? The researcher said overall young people's ability to reason about the information on the internet can be summed up in one word. Bleak. Yeah. Says they may be able to fit between Facebook and Twitter while simultaneously uploading a selfie to Instagram, texting a friend. But when it comes to evaluating information that flows through social media channels, they are easily duped. Yeah, I believe that. 80% of students can't tell the difference between a real and a fake news story. Because it's it also usually jives with your bias, right? So yes. if your bias, it confirms yeah, yeah it confirms confirmation your bias, right? bias error. I think you see, you're like, well, I agree with that, so it's real. Yeah, but I think that's probably that's why you take the prevalent. mantra of believe nothing. Everything's a lie. Yeah, but you don't have to call everybody a liar. Like no, you. I try to. You know, change curtail that. that. Sure. Um, in the Pennsylvania hometown of one Fred Rogers, they erected over on Saturday, they unveiled a uh, bronze statue. Of Mr. Rogers? Of Mr. Rogers. Oh, that's awesome. great. I love him. It was dedicated during a public ceremony at the park named after his father, James H. Rogers. They were going to dedicate it in June, but the statue's debut was put on hold when the sculptor became ill. That so there you go. He couldn't finish the sculpture because he was... Well, he couldn't attend the unveiling. Yeah. So they, they had to wait. Now it was unveiled. How neat, though. You can go to his Pennsylvania town and see it's Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. If you want to go see a, you know, or a statue of Fred Rogers. You can pose with him. There's people that now... Yeah, I love him. He's sitting on a park bench. So you can go sit next to him. Yeah. He helped raise me. Did he? Yeah. Many people probably claim that same thing. Yeah. He's a neat guy. And um, you're on Snapchat. Yeah. Not really. I have a. I have something. It says I have one message, and I can't figure out how to find it. Your children? They're all over it. The University of uh, Wisconsin Green Bay. They will. Uh, they're going to Snapchat university acceptance letters. Huh. That's a good idea. When a student gets an acceptance letter, they'll have to either screenshot the message or send the university a selfie back to let them know that they received it. Students will still, of course, receive a traditional welcome packet in the mail. But if they're one of the members of Generation Z that are always on Snapchat, they'll likely see their acceptance That's there great. first. Aww. Is that great? Sure. Should we be doing that on Snapchat? Yeah, it's just good PR, right? So now everyone like, hey, got accepted to wherever, Harvard. Right. And then got they can throw a filter on and look like a dog. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> Wait till they start doing that. Then, yeah, based on the mascot, they'll start filtering it. Um, but boy, that, plus it, you can then send that to all your friends. Look, I was on Penn State's Snapchat. Snapchat. Wow. Then you're really big league. <laughs> Grow your audience. What's happening to us? We'll take a break. When we come back, Kim Giles will be joining us by phone. Um, have you raised or how to not raise an entitled teen? we got to step up, parents. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know... We're doing the best we can as parents. We're trying to raise our kids. We want them to have grit. We want them to be strong. But have we ended up raising an entitled teen? Well, to help us with this, who better than Kim Giles, who's joining us? 
Kim uh, is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching, which you can find at ClarityPointCoaching.com. She's a popular life coach, author, speaker, and uh, joins us today to walk us through how not to raise an entitled teen. Kim Giles, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Excited to be here talking about this this morning. It's so easy, right, to... We want, you know, we want to give our kids everything we can, but then if you're not careful, they may think that they're entitled to everything. Yeah, you know, we're seeing more and more parents that that really, I, I thought I was raising them right and teaching them to work hard, and all of a sudden, um, I'm seeing just this attitude and and expecting the world to just give them everything they want without work, and realize, wow. I've done something not quite right here. And so on top of talking about how to not raise an entitled teen, I also want to talk a little about what do we do when we suddenly realize we've accidentally got one. Oh, yeah, because you can't just disown them because you created them. Kicking them out, you wish was an option at times. So true. Yeah, there's other things we can do. There there are, and it's – I mean, again, we want to be, you know, parents and the best we can be, and we want to give them everything we never had, but we might be creating a monster if we're not careful. Yeah. So, you know, if you start to see that your your child isn't appreciating things that you do for them because they're kind of expecting it, so so that appreciation is really not happening um, asking for more and more and really expecting that, that that's the way the world works. We may You may need a wake-up call that you've made their life a little bit too easy. Mm. And, you know, we do it from love, right? We, we love them. We want to, to make things easy for them. But there's a, a place where we can kind of go wrong and have given a little too much and and whenever we overgive, we basically create a situation where we're not going to be appreciated. Yeah, no, right. People start to expect it. What what are some other signs that they they probably are they're feeling pretty entitled? Well, I I see a lot of teens that are have gotten good at guilt manipulating mom and dad. Yeah. So, you know, if they don't get what they want, they're going to make you feel like you're a terrible parent for not giving it to them. Um, That's one thing we see quite a lot. Um, Also, notice that they don't take care of the things that you do make available to them. A car is a good example of that. Um, An entitled teen doesn't really take care of the car, doesn't realize that there's costs associated with driving a car. And and you kind of can tell that this is something that they're taking for granted. No, it's so true. And they, then you wonder, like, oh, what is their deal? I mean, who <laughs> taught them how to do this? Because, I mean, I see it. And a lot of it is just advancements. I used to wash my car by hand in my driveway every day. I mean, not every day, but every week or two. But now our kids are like, I'm like, you guys need to wash the car. And they're like, okay, do you have money? And I'm thinking, what? No, grab a bucket. <laughs> but so it's just the changing times make it so they're always thinking technology is going to solve every problem. But I guess there comes a point when that's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, I'm, I made a mistake early on myself, Matt, and, and I was paying for the gas 
for the car mm. that my teen was able to drive. And I suddenly realized that they have no appreciation for what, how much it costs to drive a car. And it, it's, it's more difficult on a teen to have you go backwards. But it, if this is where you are, this is where you're going to have to go to all of a sudden cut that off and say you're, you're going to have to be responsible for your own gas. Right. And, oh, are you kidding? <laughs> you it's know how so expensive true. this is? That's yeah. so true. Holy cow, that's not good. But all of a sudden you notice that they're not so quick to take the car and drive as far as they were before now that they realize how much it costs to have that privilege. And, and honestly, guys, our job is to prepare these kids to be responsible adults. Right. I mean, that's so, it. It, if we're not teaching them how to carry the weight of all those bills and, and you know, understand the costs, they're really going to be handicapped at some level when they leave your house. So bottom line, we've got to get a little tougher. We've got to say no a little bit more. And, and we've got to intentionally let them start feeling what it's like to be an adult now so that they'll be ready. Mm. So what do we do? What are some of the steps we can take today to prepare them to not be so entitled and to be, you know, mature, healthy adults? All right. Well, the first one is to start teaching work work ethic as young as possible. Now, obviously, if they're already a teen, today is early as possible. It would have been great if we could have started when they were younger, but we're going to do the best we can and start where we are. Uh, Some good ways to teach work ethic one is to demonstrate it yourself. I, I hear from teens, well, hey, I watch my mom as a couch potato. She never does anything. And, and then she orders me around to do this work. Well, that's not teaching her. We've got to demonstrate kids follow our example much more than they follow what we say. Right. So you've got to be modeling responsible, hardworking behavior so that you, so that you teach them that this is what life is about. This is the way we do it. Um, I think even assigning them chores around the house, they've got to see that you're carrying some of that weight too. Right. You've got chores. And, and I like to get in there and work with them so that this is something we're doing together, which I think works much better than just assigning up to them. Oh, it's so true because, too, uh, they don't – like we we have our kids come out and we weed together and, boy, you learn very quickly if they have any work ethic. Yeah, don't you? Because that, my – and my wife's big into like, hey, what we're going to do is we're going to weed for, ten, for 30 minutes. And I'm like, don't give a time limit. Let's just weed till the job is done. And But my kids are always like, dad, it's 28 minutes. What I'm only going to do a few more, and I'm thinking, oh boy, <laughs> come on, we got to keep weeding till you these things are gone. About one that has to go to the bathroom the minute yeah. the family starts right. that. Too. There's always the one that yeah, he's he's got some urinary tract infection that he's never had, but now he's got to go to the restroom every five minutes. Come yeah. on, killing me. Uh, yeah. Give me give me another tool. What's another thing we can do as parents to make sure we're we're helping them not be so entitled. All right. So if they're already a teen and you're seeing that behavior, this is going to require a lot of really open and honest communication about what you're trying to do here, what your intentions are. It, and 
And, you know, our whole goal in, in teaching them work ethic and making them be more responsible is to serve them and help them in their life so they're prepared to be successful the rest of their life. And, and we may have to have some really frank conversations that some things have got to change, and, and this is because I love you. Now, tell me how you feel about it. What do you think um, is, the, is a reasonable amount of responsibility, uh, car privileges, phone privileges, mm. work around the house? Definitely open up that conversation and get them involved in figuring out what that looks like. Now, obviously, you're going to have the final vote on this, but the more involved that you get them and the more you you listen to how they feel about it, the more respected they feel. And the bottom line is we want them to pitch in and do these things in a respectful way, honoring the family and, and their responsibility to help out. And, and we don't want it with a chip on their shoulder mad. Right. right? So the more open, mutually validating conversations we have with them about what we're trying to do, the better. It, it works a lot better than just coming down and saying, okay, this is how I've decided to change things. This is what you're going to do, like it or not. Now, at the end of the day, you may still set those rules, and it may still be a like it or not, but involve them in that conversation and be willing to listen to what they think and how they feel about it. Even if they don't get their way, being willing to at least listen to how they feel makes them feel validated as a person and respected. Yeah. And that's no – I always teach no um, no participation, no buy-in. And they need to buy in or you're just going to be fighting them the entire time. We'll continue the discussion more with Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching as we uh, try to understand how to raise a, a, a healthy – able, skilled teen instead of an entitled teen that thinks that they deserve everything. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you become the best you can become. The Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Kim Giles. And Kim is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. And today she's talking to us about how you raised, are you are you afraid you've raised an entitled child? How to avoid that and, and what to do if you have, you know, made that little error where you gave your kids a lot and now they, they seem pretty much like uh, you owe them everything. And so, Kim, you've already kind of walked us through the importance of communicating with them as teaching them a work ethic, working with our kids, uh, making driving a privilege, right? It's not a right to have a car. What are some other things we can do if we find out we've raised an entitled child? All right. Well, on top of not giving them a car, and let me just say again, make them earn it. Make them buy their own car or at least earn half of what it's going to cost to have a car, and you'll find they take care of it. They, they, they value the privilege on a whole different level. Same thing with mobile phones. I really feel like a mobile phone is a privilege, not a right in mm. my family, and that kids need to pay that phone bill if they want to have a phone. I agree. And I, I am not at all 
uh, shy about turning the phone off if that phone bill doesn't get paid because that's such a perfect place to teach them those real-world consequences. If we don't pay the power bill, the power shuts off. And, you know, we, we want them to learn these lessons now while they're cheaper than they'll be later on in life. Yeah, we um, we I, use the phone kind of instead of uh, instead of like them getting an allowance. We give ours uh, access to a phone, but there's there's rules connected to it. And I know you're going to get into rules like you got to get yeah. good grades. You got to the phone's got to be put away. You got to do your jobs, your chores, your assignments, and then it's just then you get the benefit of using it. But we found it's a powerful, you know way to get stuff happening because it's such a tie to who they are, to their identity. Yeah. Now, I've heard from a lot of parents, once once my kid turns 18 and has left high school, they either move out or we start having a uh, basically rent and board payment from the child, hmm. unless maybe they're, they're full-time in college and, you know, you've made an arrangement there. But if they're not in school... I think you absolutely should let them start experiencing what it's like to be an independent adult and have to pay your rent and food. One uh, family told me they just charge a, a $50 per month, which is ridiculously low in, in my opinion, but still it, it lets the team get used to the idea of having to, to spend their money on what it costs to live mm. instead of all the money they make being you know, going for clothes or, or playing, that kind of thing. I, I know also, a couple that did that, and they took the money, put it in another account, and used it when the person got married. Oh, yeah. So they actually paid for their own wedding without knowing it. Oh, isn't that an awesome idea? Or or at least save it so that when they do move out, you can help them with some of those expenses. That yeah. would be a great idea. Right. Um, I think it's really powerful to get your teens out volunteering, doing doing something where they get to experience what life is like for those who are less fortunate than your family. I think giving them those kind of experiences really helps with the entitlement mentality. Yeah. I, I also think that one of the big reasons that they, they feel entitled to the stuff that you have is really a fear problem a fear of failure about their own ability to go out in the world and take care of themselves and make money to to do all those things. So I think it's really important that we're encouraging them, that we're telling them we believe in them, that they can do this, that they can make it in the world, that they're smart and capable and hardworking. And I've found the more I tell my teen that that's who they are and that's what I see in them, the more they rise to that, they start to believe me that that is, in fact, who they are. That's so good. Yeah. And they need to hear it, right? They do. They need a lot of encouragement. And they need to have a safe place to go to to ask questions and learn about how these things happen. We we bought a new car recently. And our teen was so fascinated and full of questions about the whole process and how that works and how much it costs to have different types of cars. And it was a a wonderful learning opportunity when we involved them so that they gained those real-life skills. Mm, That's great. That really is. Everybody needs – these things don't just happen. They've got to be processed through the kids. Um, Give us a couple more. One more, I think, we have time for. 
Okay, well, remember that you teach your children how to treat you and the attitude that they're going to have towards you and, and, and the family by what you accept. So really make sure that when they, when they do give you attitude or they complain about things, that you let them know that that's not appropriate in our, in our house, that, you know, we, we do so much for you. We deserve your respect, too, and I'm not going to put up with anything less than that. Um, I think a lot of parents today are, are more concerned about the kids liking them, and so they maybe aren't teaching them the way that they want to be treated. And it has to be something that you're watching for all the time to make sure that you're, you're teaching people to be respectful of you, and especially those that live in your house. Great advice. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship that we care about, we love, we, we love them deeply, but a lot of us just feel, I think we feel like we don't know how to handle it, so we do let them treat us inappropriately, just so as we not to hurt people's feelings. Yeah, or maybe to avoid conflict. Yeah. And, and Matt, if, if we have listeners that are here in Utah... Uh, we are actually offering a free parenting workshop on Thursday night at our office in South Jordan, and all the information about it is on our website. My business partner and master coach, Nicole Cunningham, is an expert on coaching parents to deal with teens. So if That's anybody great. out there would like more help with that, this is a, a free workshop this Thursday night, the 8th. That's awesome. Good stuff. Again, they can go to ClarityPointCoaching.com for that. Is that right, Kim? Yes, absolutely. Kimberly, thank you so much for your great work. Keep it up. And uh, everybody, hey, let's make sure we're not raising entitled teens because that just creates an entitled country. Let's not do that. We will take a break, come back, wrap up uh, this hour with a good visit from our buddies at BYU Sports Nation and then the hero of the day. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's send it down to two of the best kung fu fighters that exist. Jerem Jordan, Jason Shepard. Hello, Jao, man. What Good morning. How are you? Fight. Do you, know, do you know what we're celebrating today with this music? Kung Fu? The birth of Kung Fu? Uh, International Ninja Day. Ooh. All right. Uh, who's your favorite ninja? Chuck Norris. Wow. Ooh. You came up uh, no, fast. No, you're, you're right. Uh, it's uh, Michelangelo. Yeah, I was going to go Leonardo because he oh, wears see. the blue. <laughs> you were going to go with the colors, the BYU colors. Yeah. You were wearing blue today. <laughs> Yeah, I am wearing. I wear blue most every day. Actually, you were blued up. If you look in my closet, which I'm not telling people to go to my house and look in my closet, but if you were to see my closet, I would say at least at least seventy five, eighty percent are blue or a shade of blue. How about that? Wow. Yeah, you are a total cougar fan. <laughs> Was that? Was that Jerem choking? It was me sneezing. Oh, did you just hairball, sneeze? I think. Hairball. Yeah. Okay, here's, here's a question for you from Dr. Oz's uh, website, The Good Life. You ready? Yes. Do you guys know what omphalophobia is? No. No. I bet you've got it. I'm going to give you a bunch of phobias. You tell me if you've got it. Omphalophobia? Omphalophobia is the a fear, fear of omphalophobia. That's no. what I was thinking. Yeah. No, but close. Fear of belly buttons. 
You ever met somebody that belly just can't go near a belly button? Like so, so, so people with that cannot watch reruns of I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah, and, <laughs> and <laughs> exactly, and they can never clean out their belly button. Do kids today even know I Dream? No, of they Did don't. I just date myself. You just, you totally do. No, they don't dream of genies. Uh, do you guys know what uh, pentherophobia is? Fear A of pens. fear of Penn State. No, <laughs> that's different. Uh, fear of mothers-in-law. Everyone is that one. Pentherophobia. Every, every person has that one. <laughs> <laughs> How about Hi, um, Pam? This this is one that's probably you can relate to. Have um, electro electro electrophobia electrophobia. A fear of electric rugs. No. Nope. Fear of chickens. A fear of chickens. Wait, Have, but where does. It... Where did, Where they get did that? you get off? No, no, but the name, like, what does that have to do with chickens? It doesn't. It's probably it's Greek. It's the Latin of the Greek root. Of elector, which is chicken. So basically anything because— Of electra. Like, you could come up with anything that somebody's afraid of. Even oh, if it's yeah. like one person that's afraid of it, Okay, this you is have like a phobia. Yeah. Here's one that's you're going to think you know what it is. Arachibutyrophobia. Arachibutyrophobia. It's not spiders, spider. though, right? No. Spider bacteria. Fear. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. See, that just see that was the jumping the shark of phobias for me. <laughs> Is that Sharknado <laughs> phobias for you? I get it. Uh, nom- nomophobia. This is a very popular one, actually. You probably have this one. Nomophobia. A fear, uh, fear of Hideo, Hideo Nomo. Nomo. Yes! Major League Baseball no. pitcher. <laughs> Not even close. Fear oh, of being my. without your phone. Oh, I have that all the time. Yeah. Oh, huh. where's my phone? Uh, here's one. Oh, this is funny. Uh, Puppophobia. Afraid of, of uh, mm-hmm. uptents. Pu- <laughs> close. <laughs> close. Close. Fear of puppets. Oh, so these are the guys that can't watch, like, Sesame like, Street. Yeah, Sesame Street. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're the ones that didn't grow up with Sesame Street. You pull a puppet out and start playing with your One. kid. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Uh, how Ventriloquist about... puppets, though, are freaky. Yeah, those are weird. Oh, yeah. Those are That's demonic, weird. I'm pretty sure. Well, and especially because these ventriloquists are really close with their puppets. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like best yep. friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's kind of creepy. Ablutophobia mm-hmm. is the fear of washing, bathing, or cleaning. Okay. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, here's no, one. No that, comment. Uh, ge- genu- genuphobia is the fear of knees. Oh, it's not Jennifer Aniston? No. Fear of Jennifer's. But she's got knees. Um, <laughs> yes, Matt, she has knees. She <laughs> has knees. <laughs> <laughs> I've got knees, brother. Uh, globophobia is the fear of balloons. Not a fear of globes? Nope. Cairo, I'm not a huge fan of ky- Chirophobia is the fear of hands. The fear of a specific city in Egypt? Like like just seeing like no. people's hands? Yeah. Hands freak them out. Huh. See, folks, crazy. this is what you learn on our show. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's like modern society is amazing yet it has its drawbacks. Like one of them is that everything is categorized. Mm-hmm. Like it, it used to just, life just used to be kind of simple. Now it's like. Oh, actually, there's a uh, there's a specific uh, category for that behavior. There is, in fact, if you Which if can be helpful, right? It also, can be odd. It's like, wait, not everyone has something that needs to be diagnosed, right? Well, but if you have lutrophobia, you want to know that. <laughs> but like, how, how you want to like, know somebody that somebody could come up with any, like, you could make something. Like, how do you get these? 
I like have like the like fear of the stamped by like a doctor to make yeah. it legit. Why are you not making a bowl game? I have a fear of yes. Bowl. Well, so have a name? yeah, Wyoming a phobia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wyoming a Titus missing out a phobia. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, lutrophobia by the way is a fear of otters. How many times do you come in contact with otters? I know, but you only need to, you don't come in a lot if you got lutrophobia. And you're like, no, not my lumiophobia. (laughs) It's scary. Yeah, you can't like say these and people are like, oh, okay, we understand. Yeah, we we get, oh, you've got lutrophobia. What would would we call a fear of missing BYU Sports Nation? What phobia Uh, would that be? BSNophobia. How would you say that? Yeah, you, you can't. Yeah, but it, has to, it doesn't have to say. I mean, it could be completely random. Have absolutely nothing to do with BYU yeah. Sports. It's Nation, just FOMO. Apparently. It's just FOMO. Yeah, it's not even a phobia. It's just FOMO phobia. I'm telling you, I have a uh, a phobia of Jerem Jordan's shirt he's wearing today. Oh, I gotta see this. It, it is a. It is honestly. It looks like it's an ode to the Wyoming Cowboys because <laughs> it is this brown. Like roadside truck stop shirt mm-hmm. with a big bear on it. Mm-hmm. Wow! There's like three bears, dog. Don't oh, there's three. My bear. It was just the one bear was bear so Joseph. large. Is he wearing a bolo tie too? <laughs> He's not wearing a bolo. Okay, darn it. Hey, what's on your show today? Well, we're going to talk a lot. Uh, speaking of Wyoming, uh, about the Poinsettia Bowl because BYU, we do know, was going to face former Mountain West Conference foe Wyoming. Holler! Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, they haven't played each other since 2010. It's BYU declared their independence, so it'll be a, it'll be a reunion of sorts in San Diego or San Diego, depending on how you like to say it. <laughs> Discovered by the Germans. Uh, so we'll have Trevor Maddich on. He's going to talk. Uh, it's a Maddich Monday, so we'll talk about that matchup. Uh, and then Ted Tolner, who is the president of the San Diego Bowl Association, he's going to join us, and um, we may mix in uh, a little BYU basketball talk. Absolutely. This is exciting. That's a great show. We hope so. If it's not, we'll just get ready for it tomorrow. It sure beats talking about phobias all day. <laughs> I have a fear. I have a phobia about talking about phobias. Yeah, yeah exactly. Phobia, a phobia, phobia, a phobia, phobia, a phobia. Yeah, that's it. Done. You guys are good. Okay, go knock them dead. I know you got to go. You know, get ready. Stay Do sweet. your push-ups. Stay sweet. Remember who you are, and <laughs> don't be you. afraid. Remember the promise. Peace Return out. with honor. <laughs> and they're gone. I miss those guys already. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't take long. I know. Do you want me to share one more story with you before you get to the hero story? Please do. So I think you teased this earlier, but I'm just curious, what is the dumbest thing you've ever gotten an argument over? Personally? Sure. Or that I've heard? Yes, either. Um, well, I've heard people divorce over lettuce. Really? Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. yeah they really wanted arugula. Well... You t- like I said, you teased this earlier. <laughs> Arugula. A Florida man was arrested last Thursday after deputies said he got into an argument with his father over a what? bowl of nuts. That's nuts. And the argument ended with the son punching his dad in the face. Whoa. Tyler Lee Dugan, 20, got into a dispute with his father at their Summerfield area house on Thursday. The father said his son was acting crazy and growling prior to the incident. Apparently he's a bear. Deputies said the father went into the kitchen to fetch a bowl of nuts and was attempting to leave when Dugan pulled the bowl away and struck him in the face. That's crazy. You know what kind of nuts they were? Uh uh Peanut. Nope. Hazelnut. Guess again. Cashew nut. Wrong. Macadamia nut. Not quite. Pine nut. Nope. Pistachio nut. <sighs> Red pistachio nut. 
natural, all natural white pistachio nuts. Did you even know there were that many nuts? I, I had no idea. What? And so in the end, do we know what? It was a coconut. Oh, I think they were coconut almonds. Oh, those are good. Now, would I'd you punch, punch somebody? Okay. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd probably, yeah, I'd do a lot of things to somebody for their <laughs> almonds. Their coconut almonds. Oh, those are good. Thank heavens for Costco. Not a plug, by the way. I'm sure you can buy them in other places. Hey, um, as you know, we like to always end on a hero story. Cops spread cheer with cash in Jackson Hole. Listen to this. You could be the lucky recipient of a holiday bonus over the next few weeks. If you're on your best behavior, though. Some generous Teton County philanthropists have given a substantial amount of money to the local law enforcement to hand out to residences uh, or residents um, this holiday season. I have received cash from some anonymous donors to give out to people prior to the holidays, Teton County Sheriff Jim Whalen said. He will be handing it out in uh, bills of 50 to 100 at a time, $100 at a time. Deputies, officers, troopers will be on the lookout this month for people doing good deeds it could almost be anything, the sheriff said. For example, it could be a person who helps someone out of a snowbank, exercises good driving habits, calls dispatch with some helpful public safety information. You name it. The catch blitz will likely start next week once the sheriff and his team have put together a proper accounting mechanism in place. It's a wonderful thing. How cool to finally be able to just notify and, and notice the good that's going on in the world instead of only arresting people, citing people, charging people. Um, so a shout-out. That's pretty cool. For the for the philanthropists, the people that gave the money, and for the police department that are thinking it through and trying to do it right. And, you know, maybe it's all a ploy, not to be a cynic, to just get everybody to tact better. In the end, though, we can all do a little bit better to be better and uh, give more to this uh, great life and this world that we live in. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger. Until tomorrow, make it a great one, and we'll talk again tomorrow.